And that's us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tafcast 11, the second installment of this year, flowing into your ears like the spring breeze. Breezing right on, we've had a lot to talk about, and are excited to get right into it. This intro brought to you by a fantastic Zuka. Hey, hello. And today by James Genn and myself, Skull. How are you doing? I'm, I'm pleased to say it, it sounded worse than it read on the script. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm a writer for hire, definitely. Uh, I've just got a knack for it. <laughs> you don't right. <laughs> I still can't get over your infatuation with the, the music bar. <laughs> I mean, our wolf made it better. Yeah, yeah, arguably. <laughs> right. Uh, right on. I, yeah, I think we just jump right into it. Just breeze on through. Breeze right through, yeah. For right. everybody who's not done this before, welcome to Tafkals. This is where we talk about what's going on and what's coming up in the future. And it's basically Zuko and me asking questions and James answers and tries not to do that for too long. We'll see how that goes. Yes. Yep. Okay, first question, loaded one. Where the fuck well, does it rains, James? Well, Come on. Well, I mean, I'll answer that one, but it might be worth doing a bit of housekeeping first, like uh, ah. questions in chat. Uh, <laughs> come on. What, what do people do with that <laughs> question? Come on. They I put it in the Tafcast live well. chat. Skull will be monitoring it and uh, be bringing up your questions. Any oddballs, any curveballs, any, uh, I don't know, whatchamacallem. Could you pin uh, messages in there, Skull? What do you think? We don't Let have any puns in here. Okay, that would be handy if we could maybe maybe point them out and we'll pin them or something, or I'll try and talk and give you permissions at the same time. Give me a second. I can't. I think you have to promote to promote with the officer so I can. Oh yeah, yeah. Just, for just quickly do that. We a professional would have done this before the. Uh... It's it's the uni jank. Can you do it now? It just works. <laughs> oh wait, no, sorry. I can't. It, show, it shows how incompetent I am because I'm giving you permission to the Tafka stage channel, not the actual. Tafka. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so you can fill a bit of space for a second. Uh, yeah, sure, can do. Uh, should I should I do bad puns or should I should I ramble on about things? I mean, Kat's already asking me why I'm so stinky. I think that's kind of a demeaning question, but uh, I'm sure Skull can answer that one. Um, you're Swiss. Oh, and cheese. It, it always harks back to the cheese, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, come on. I know, Skull. Ooh, there we go. Okay, excellent. We're off to a great start. What was the question? Why is Zuka so stinky? Oh, oh, the, oh, the other one. Where's the Citrap, James? Uh, it's coming. Soon, um, TM, yeah. Soon, TM, yeah. There's, um, there's a lot of stuff. 50% of the way done. Um, I think I think in general, we'll probably try and get back to a habit of doing Citraps on perhaps a monthly basis, irrespective of what's going in them. Um, but there's quite a lot of things we wanted to get into the setup, and it didn't make much sense to put one out without them in it. So there will be one relatively soon, although I have been saying that for three weeks to the OCFC, so um, it could take a little bit longer. Um, but what we can talk about is some of the stuff that will be in that, um, what won't be in it. And uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about why it's taken so long and some of the challenges beyond that. I mean... You kind of spoiled one of the biggest features before the Citrap was even out, didn't you? With uh, saw portals. Yeah, I mean, but that that was part of a 
again, something we may continue. If something's ready, perhaps we won't bother waiting for a syrup. Some stuff, if it's if it's oven baked and good to go, and doesn't need too much explanation. Then maybe we'll just shove it out uh, to save, you know, to save time. Is there going to be a bit of a sneak peek about what's going to be in it? Yeah, come on. Uh, well, I mean, I can tell you. Well, it depends on when it comes out. And there's a couple. The the, the biggest thing that's delayed this um, syrup is there's a lot of SOP changes, like policy changes in this syrup. Um, and but we're really inefficient at changing policy at the moment because, um, you know, when we when we come up with a new SOP or we change SOP, it has to go through a lot of reviews, right? So we, you know, we'll we'll generally write it, and then it'll go back and forth and back and forth. Um, it all sounds very political, but I mean, everyone wants to have a say on these things. Um, and and then when we've actually, in, in the case of this SITREP, actually, we'd agreed, I would like to say, I mean, Zuka, uh, you've both been in some of the officer meetings in the last uh, two months. Some of the, sort of, I think we agreed on the change in like late January. Um, it's the writing of the SOP. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time. There's a, uh, quite a lot of people in your stuff that, that write SOP and will know how long it takes. Um, and then when it's written, it's got to be read and then uh, there's a query here, query there. So actually a lot of it's not knowing what to put in it. It's writing it and writing it in a way that everyone could understand. And so maybe that leads nicely into why we push this, the SOP portal out because we need more people that can do that. Um, also, in, in addition to the whole SOP portal thing, we've now got a SOP SOP, which... I mean, I've read it, you've read it. Uh, it focuses a lot on the how to write something, not necessarily, uh, you know. <laughs> it's a SOP about SOP, what can I say? It it has a lot of interesting pointers about concise writing, passive, and like direct sentences. And as I'm sure you've noticed, and has been pushed in an announcement, the SOP portals, and correct me if I'm wrong, James, is open now good for testing and i think but, yeah i mean seen are, quite a few changes already or like requests for changes yeah people are already using it and that's and that's good um but so I, I see people are putting questions in um the so, so um the the reason for the delay is not necessarily just sop um it, uh, there's a lot of stuff changing at the moment in in the real world and also here um we've gone through like a period of what one of the interesting things about unitaph is that um, since we started, I think we only had about eight months of like normality, and then we went straight into a global pandemic. So, like all of our organisational structures and our systems are literally built on the basis that um, nobody had a job. So, like the speed in which we were able to develop things in the last eighteen months is certainly not equal to the speed that we're able to develop them now. And you can see like a quantitative representation of this if you look at deployments, right? So, the average person in 2019 would deploy three times per month and then for the last 18 months pretty much to the end of last year during what we would call covid or the covid period the covid days the average is about 8.8 .8. so average person on the active force was doing 8.8 .8 deployments a month some of them were doing like um more than that obviously bringing the average up and then there was a lot of people doing less but that just says a lot about the people that did more i mean you know that anyway because there's people getting medals for like doing 30 ops in 30 days 28 yeah and he's in the chat right now crazy guy <laughs> sure he is there's no one what else is he gonna do? Uh, <laughs> but but yeah so I, I think the message is that we're we're seeing the end of those times and reality is well and truly hitting home and uh 
that is nowhere near the th- the 3.5 that it was pre-covid but i suspect it will probably head in that direction um so so if you draw that back to that's operational activity and there's nothing wrong with that we just simply reduce the number of deployments to to cater for for what the demand is but um organizationally that that same thing is so if if i was if you use that same math people were spending three times less time operationally and i would say that probably applies organizationally as well so the time that i had dedicated for example to do things is uh the same if not less due to other obviously other commitments and so evidently that means that we are moving at a slower pace so to go back to the sop pool what what's that all about um that's saying well we need more resource and the only way we can do more resources we can't rely on a handful of people to um write and publish shop it's not sustainable so we have to go down the wikipedia route of uh, you know we we decide what we want to do as as we did in january we said we're going to change this sop this sop this sop um but we if we don't have the time to write it we need to be able to to involve other people in that process and you can see that working with things like the medical csip right so i think for anyone that's not seen the sop pool essentially what it is is it allows anyone to create a sop and then provide a reason of why they want to create it or edit a sop and provide a reason why they want to edit it and then we will look at the what's called the ATA, the reason why you want to change it and we'll approve it or deny it. And and depending on what happens there, then you basically get given access to edit it and it forms a draft and then it, it can get approved. Because one of the biggest problems with SITREPs is you've got to line up all these changes and then write the changes into the SITREP and it's a lot to do for a single point of time. It takes a lot of time. Um, what the SOP pool allows us to do is, is to build up a, a bunch of changes and then just have them staged waiting for someone to press a button and publish them. So it will streamline it massively and it allows a lot more people to contribute to that process. Yeah, for now it's always been sort of like you first had to even know what the problem was, look for all the SOP uh, and look at those specific areas. Then, only then can you even start looking at changes after you've got the concrete evidence that there's something that needs changing or something that needs uh, amending, explaining, uh, whatever word you want to use for it. And with this, again, as James already said, it sort of Wikipedia approach. Uh, it's more distributed, I guess, and allows for people to put any requests in. And in exactly that same sentence sort of tells us, hey, someone has a problem with it, or someone sees uh, sort of need for improvement in any of these specific SOPs, uh, which, as James already said, makes it extremely more streamlined for us. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm already seeing all the the messages pop up about hey, this someone's putting in a request for this, someone's putting in a request for this, and I don't suspect they'll be slowing down anytime. No, I mean people are using it, which is good. Um, if people don't use it, it's not going to solve the problem we're trying to solve. Which is, um, as I said, if if you just imagine, I'm not saying this is the case, but if you if you imagine I have five hours a week dedicated to Unitaf. If three of those are spent in operational briefings and debriefings, I've got two left. Well, if I spend those two authoring SOP and reviewing SOP for approval, I've got none left and then we're not pushing anything forward. So the only way that this works is if it takes the time off of the people that currently do that thing, because there's things that I can do that other people can't do. Um, and so it's like a conscious effort to spread the, um, to utilize more resource 
task force wide because we we've gone from a very small amount of people with a lot of time to a lot of people with a little amount of time and so we need to be able to balance that in order to keep pushing the roadmap forward yeah i mean it's always been the case that uh, a lot of people in here have some time they want to spend or some time they they would like to spend on helping us or making missions uh, helping out with ftx is everything and this should make it just one step easier and uh not to go too far into the agenda here already but james is something like this planned for the rcs and lesson plans as well this sort of wikipedia approach or crowds sourcing system so to say yeah i mean those familiar with rcs will know that it is if you're not if you don't know what it stands for it's the role certification system so um in very brief terms the current tier system which dictates access to roles and levels of experience uh, is an experience-based system it's not a cap- uh, com- uh, like a capability-based system so you could have a high tier and be terrible at the role or vice versa first study of the Tavcast. So sorry go ahead <laughs> nope. skills, skills, skills. Um, so in the new year what we said was look we're going to primary the development of the rcs which is essentially a system where over time we start certifying roles so people are essentially certifying each other on on roles. So like if you take radio operators, people will get certified as radio operators and then certify other radio operators. It's a quality control thing, right? But we can't afford to have another sink for, for resource of instructors having to spend time authoring it. So it needs to be self-authoring. So that was already a, like a crowdsource system. It was actually, to some extent, RCS that gave us the idea for this other stuff, right? Because when we we knew we needed to do RCS, but we didn't. There was no way that it was going to work if it required NCO's time or my time to, you know, to authorize people. This stuff needs to be bulletproof and it needs to be like uncorruptible. And when I say Wikipedia, I don't mean Wikipedia because it's not as free as that. What we're essentially doing is I'm retaining, um, I'm retaining um, command and control over the changes by, by essentially people saying, "Look, we want to make this change." in concept and then we're saying in principle we like that what you're suggesting here you are here's the authorization to do it so whereas wikipedia you just sort of edit what you want if you've got a citation type thing so it's not quite fully that way still maintaining control at a central level but involving as many people in the process as possible so yes rcs works that way sop now works that way you will expect loadouts to go down that same route very quickly it's currently something that ncos can do but but we'll give the same access that we've given to SOP to, to loadouts. And um, that should have a massive increase. Like, w- this makes sense, right? If you come out of an op like yesterday and the AT doesn't work, somebody very quickly can find the solution, post it for um, for approval, and the problem's solved, right? It takes a lot of time off of um, campaign teams back, my back, uh, whoever's back is. Um, and there was maybe one other area that we were going to do that. Was it lesson plans? Uh, yes, as far as you said, yeah. I can't think of, of many more than that, but certainly those four areas uh, we're going to make it as easy as possible for people to get involved in and help with those things. I'm, I'm glad to see Scotty's as beloved as she always was. But, but um, <laughs> I suppose to your point about the SOP of SOP in an ironic sense. Yeah. The reason why we now have a SOP for SOP is that we, whenever we give people access to stuff, we need to set the standard and say, this is to the standard in which we do things. And so if people are writing SOP, there's a standard. If people are making loadouts, there's a standard. Uh, if people are making certifications or certifying people, there is a standard. Uh, 
So it's not a free for it's not the Wild West, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, as, as you already said, we're not handing in exactly like Wikipedia would. We're sort of putting the emphasis more on a controlling body instead of someone being able to push changes and those then being sort of on the live branch. It still needs to go through a sort of uh, verification process, which uh, James, I think, is held by all of the RxOC, or is that like uni staff level, officer level, that echelon? It depends so at the moment. Uh, for things like SOP, senior staff level. But I think as we start to work through these systems, like we're, th this is new to us as well. Like we're so used to just having everyone's full and undivided attention and nobody having jobs or anything like that. Um, so we're still working through it, but but it's going to have to trickle down at some point. Uh, you think about it now, we might get 10 SOP change requests a week, but if we start getting 50, it's going to be unmanageable. So we'll we'll play it by ear, so to speak. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Wikipedia has a sort of reputation behind each user. Is that something that could realistically be implemented in, in a sense that if someone, let's just take, uh, I don't know, someone by the name of uh, Noah Willen as a sort of example person, and he does a lot of SOP changes and a lot of uh, SOP drafts, if all of those get approved, would there be a sort of reputation system behind it that would allow him to not necessarily skip a step, but maybe, uh, I don't know, get some type of benefit for it, maybe even a shiny medal. Well, we've got the staff rosters now on the roster screen, and so I would, I would say they probably play a part in that we maybe start building up the J6 team. And if people are rostered in J6, then maybe that's where the permission set comes from. So it's definitely something we'll look at down the line. You're also not supposed to tell people how much data we hold on them. Like like what? We we don't have any data on you guys. I I don't know I don't know your home address. Correct. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, I don't know that. <laughs> uh, anyway, again, if you have any questions, put them in the chat. Skull, you got anyone to plug right now before we move on to the sort of next topic? You've been killed by his cat. What's going on? Oh. <laughs> no, the. Um... The thing we talked about before the Tafkaz is back. Oh, I'm not going to say it now, but I know what you mean, yeah. <laughs> like you said, <laughs> plugged it is. Oh, plugged it is. Um, yeah, there was one early on by Vike uh, asking about... Vike. Sorry, Bike. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I think that was regarding the SOP Sarah. change. Yeah. No, no, it was uh, regarding what exactly, uh, what rough area the SOP will change. I'm guessing he means CSIP, uh, not CSIP, low XC pairs. Uh, that came up during the first mention of the SOP portal. So I think, in oh. short, it's not quite that we're aiming to edit any specific SOP at the moment. We're just giving everybody the tool to, to crowdsource it. I, th I think his question was probing as to what what's likely to be in the setup shop change wise. So um, I can tell you what I know for sure will be in there and, and there's a few details being worked out on a couple of things. So one thing is there's going to be a new uh, cancellation no-show policy. So um, at the moment, those of you that are naughty and turn up to ops late or don't turn up to them at all will know that uh, at the moment you get a reprimand for not showing up. 
but it's quite common that reprimands get removed. So the exact detail of this is still being finalised, but in short, um, you'll no longer get a reprimand for not showing up, but there will be two new penalties, one called... Um, oh, I can't remember the name, but they've got fancy names, but basically there's a... Sorry, my phone's ringing, that's really unprofessional. Um, one, one of them is a is a fatigue penalty for not showing up, which can't be removed. And the other one is a, but it's not a reprimand, so it's not it's not treated like a reprimand. Um, and the other one is one for lateness. So we actually, lock, I don't know if people know this, but we can tell, basically if you join after the official start time, so if it's seven o'clock and you join at 7.05, there's going to be a fatigue penalty for that as well. Um, we need people to turn up on time. And if you turn up after the start time, your slot will essentially be given to someone else. So uh, it sounds like a very draconian policy, but I mean, we're doing it in, <laughs> in the best interests of everyone, which is, you know, opt start on time if people turn up on time. Obviously, there are always emergencies and there's an element of uh, the CMP policy which covers emergencies, but it's um, it's got to detail out that in a little bit more detail. So that, that's one of them. Um, that's obviously a new policy. Um, the last two policies that we introduced was uh, CEPA's low act, so captured persons and laws of armed conflict. There is a review of those two slots coming out. It's like a, we've had two or three months to play with them now. We've had a lot of feedback in AARs and we're making some tweaks to those. Um, for example, one of the biggest ones is that in some missions there's a lot of uh, AI um, and we're putting rules in there for role players. Like um, if the character is not actually actively being role played, there's slightly different rules, less strict rules about how you deal with that that thing. If the character is being actively role played, there are very strict rules, uh, i.e. as strict as they are now about how you should deal with them. But the whole purpose of the policy was to enhance role play, not to deal with like a, a massive crowd of completely unmanned AI, for example. So there's... Um, I don't know how you would say it. it's not really a dilution of those SOPs because it only applies in specific circumstances. But suffice to say, we've had a lot of feedback in ARs. Some of the frustrations that people have had with those policies will be addressed in, in the next era. Yeah, and that, as you said, it's it sounds a bit like a draconian sort of new policy to bring in. But if you think about it now, uh, even if you show up late or you, I don't know, get your basement flooded, whatever, you suddenly have a reprimand on your on your dossier which uh, for everyone at first glance is a sort of uh, sort of black mark on your uh, on your history on your on your dossier doesn't, doesn't look good and doesn't help you promote yeah <laughs> but, but it, the um yeah so it's 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 like most things that we do we're given with one hand taking away with the other um you're not going to get the reprimand but at the same time it's sort of worse at the moment because the people that do no show ops whether it's an emergency or not they actually get no penalty at all because most no shows get removed because every you know everyone's you know we're essentially an a and e department of emergencies on on the weekends <laughs> uh, so so yeah we're just we're just reacting to the trends and making sure that there is a penalty for for people that are consistently late or not turning up just so it's fair for everyone else, basically. And yes, Blue Wolf, I'm uh, reasonably sure there will also, will also be a penalty if the game masters don't show up on time. Uh, I mean, reasonable, uh, what is it, word I'm looking for? Fair. Exception. No, I, I was looking for exception, thank you. It's <laughs> almost like we finish each other's... Words. Yes, nice! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, of course, things like server problems or uh, 
some things that are basically higher power out of your uh, out of your hands will still uh, factor in. And uh, I mean, so if if there's a yeah. server issue, then obviously no field leader that doesn't want to get toppled is going to report people as late or not showing up. Um, in the case of emergencies, look the wait for the policy to come out but basically it splits into two things there is a, a permanent penalty that can't be removed it doesn't care if it's an emergency or not because this is the whole part of the point like we shouldn't be verifying whether someone's had an emergency or not we just take the facts as the facts um but there is a part of it which like the current system could be removed but it's not a reprimand it's just a fatigue penalty but if you do rack up 20 no-shows you're probably going to get a reprimand anyway <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah, not something you should on severity, focus yeah. on doing. Yeah. It's a very small percentage of people we're talking about, so it's probably not something to dwell on. No, I think we just reprimand all the server admins. Yeah, next question. Just server problems. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's call any more questions from the from the crowd. There was one by William regarding the mission ratings, but I think we've got that as a as its own section. So stay tuned for that one. Yeah, it's it's well and truly on the agenda, so we'll circle back on that. Yeah. Right. Be patient. <laughs> Just wait a little longer. Uh, I mean, we've already cut into it, but I think it's not time to unravel a bit more our philosophy, this whole post-Covidity thing. And uh, as you said, the sort of reduced pool of, of uh, time that's being able to be dedicated to all of the uh, backend stuff, organizational stuff, uh, mission-making, uh, FTX making, leading, whatever. Uh, we've had a bit of a think about it. And again, the salt part, a sort of first step towards a more open, more easy to contribute uh, system. And yeah, we've already cut into the other parts that we want to make more accessible. James, you got any more comments on it? Maybe even how that relates to the uh, orcs you see or what their role will be mm, i think i mean from my perspective it's always i always looked at it the same way you know uh all all of us that have a large contribution to years off, whether that's this year last year or the last three years we have to split our time and certainly i split my time into two things you know ideally 50 percent of it in working in unitaf on things like we just come out of a mission briefing for Sunday. I've, before that came out of a briefing for an FTX on Friday. So that's working in it, you know, doing the things that we need to do to, to keep it running. Um, and everyone, you know, does a bit of that, all seriously or not all seriously. Um, and then the other 50% of my time and other people that, that contribute at an organizational level is working on the future stuff. And so the point you just made about making it easier for people to contribute this wasn't a problem 12 months ago because of COVID, but this is going to be the new normal. So we have to find a way of letting anyone that wants to help, help. Um, because those that have heard me win John about it for the last two years, you know, the ultimate goal here that I want to achieve is at some point, hopefully in the next 18 months, BIS will pull their finger out their ass and say, here's Armour 4. And we're not going to have any real cap on the number of players. Or if there is a cap, it's certainly going to be two or three times the amount that we have now. Um, and what I don't want to do is go into that um, with with low quality because we I mean Zuka you know because you're in charge of J1 we get mm. 30 applications a month 
and most people leave when we tell them that, <laughs> that we we accept like four applications a month because we try and keep the roster the same size it is now. We've got enough problems at our current size. And what we need to do, try and do is solve those. And I want to get to a point where the quality at our current scale is nine out of 10 again. And Impeccable. Then that. There's, there's, there's literally no point in growing in Armour 3 at the moment because we, we can't... You know, the, the, we could throw an 100-man orbit up, but the reality is it's not enjoyable. You know, we've done it before. Um, and uh, so, so my, not my biggest worry, but I know at some point, say this year or early next year, you know, we're going to get that announcement. And so I'm always thinking about how we're going to adapt to that change. And if that announcement comes and it's a shocking one, like in three months' time, the alpha's coming out, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. Um, and we have to have a system that's sat there where people can get stuck in because if, if we're getting 30 applications a month now for a game that's 12 years old I mean I can't imagine how many you're going to be getting when it's the hottest thing off Steam so um, and you know I'm not about growth what we want to do is we want to be able to max out the server capacity of whatever platform we're playing for combined arms and cooperative play but we need to do that for 9 out of 10 ops and to William's point about low mission rates we'll come on to that because that is a big part of the picture that we've got to solve um but the philosophy as you said is just we need to be able to set what we need to do to to, to make those improvements and we need to let people get involved in that process to free up like i say my time so i'm not spending 90 percent of it in in unitaf i need to be spending realistically in my role 90 percent of it on unitaf to get these things done these policies changed and some of these systems implemented that we actually need in six months time in 12 months time my takeaway is Bohemia has five more months to get Armour 4 out because I remember my first Tafcast 13 months ago, you said the very same thing. In 18 months' time, we've gone, we're going to have a good, we're going to have an announcement. Well, I mean, a funny story. I mean, I, there's a lot of people probably listening to this that, that didn't listen. There was a Tafcast we did, maybe the second or the third one, which was about how Unitaf was founded. And I, uh, I'm saying it now, but it seemed like the logical bet at the time when we, we started Unitaf with about 13 people, it seemed like I just got better at the time that I said to everyone, you know, it'll be oh, six months, there'll be a new game coming out, like this is the right time to do it. And here we are three years later. Uh, we've seen some screenshots, but no confirmation. Unitaf wasn't built for Armour 3, it was built for Armour 4, and we're still waiting. <laughs> Optimistic as ever. Uh, if, if only they could slowly start rolling it out. Those teasers mm -hmm. do look... Uh... Mighty fine. I mean, I don't want to jump the topic, but I've, I've said to the staff for a long time, I would estimate 50% of our issues are completely outside of our control. Like, we have to be uh, so careful, again, trying to avoid not to go into this topic, but we have to be so careful in missions just to play nice with the engine. Like, in, a, in an optimised engine, you could, do, you could fuck up so much and, and still get, you know, excellent performance, basically. So... Uh, you know, it's it's a shame, but it's coming. It'll be here soon, and we'll worry about it when it comes. I mean, just the the other day we had a parable, um, and that went so smoothly and so well. I know Scaddy were there until one team body bagged a body, and that body bag armor physics a wall down, so it got discovered by the newly created line of sight, and <laughs> that sort of thing will hopefully be remedied in armor four. I mean, the whole body bag thing is is an ace thing, so it's a mod, and I mean that's one of the things that's currently uh, an issue is that armor free with all the mods and everything. You, 
you kind of need and, and are kind of expected. It's literally hard to get about duct tape, as are mm. uh, all its other systems and a, a big part of any mission planning and any uh, really any pre ops things. It's just how the hell do we work this uh, into what is currently possible? There's so much we could do, but it's just the engine doesn't allow it, armor doesn't allow it, or it's just too janky to to honestly do it. Uh, any questions from the crowd? Squilly, I'm I'm not really looking at chat. Sorry. No, although I have to shout out to Clark for creating another two pieces of art. With us at a table and on a car. Oh no! On on a car. On a car, um, a Hello Kitty car, I should say. Oh, that's oh, that is glorious. I <laughs> 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 oh, didn't put James on there. Looks great. <laughs> uh, we kind of jumped over one topic because you're just getting too excited for Arma Four. Uh, just quickly harking back to the salt portal. As some of you might know, some of you might not know, we currently have multiple CSIPs going on, and I think Tim uh, nicely <laughs> uh, TLDR'd it in, in channel chat a few days back, where he was just like, what the, what the hell even are C, uh, CSIPs? I couldn't find anything on Google, and that's because James likes making up acronyms that sound vaguely phallic at times. CSIP continuous sop to improve <laughs> <laughs> my COC was a perfect name for my chat. Oh my god! You know, they, at least they're memorable. You know, um, uh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, CSIPs. Uh, you'll you'll hear so. I mean, essentially, they're, they're you know, CSIPs is just a, a policy that we have, which is every, every SOP is is never considered final. You know, there always works in progress. I mean, a SOP is just that really. Um, but the way we use the term CSIP at the moment is typically for a group of people that work on a specific improvement, right? So. Um, it stands for Continual Sop Improvement Program, and you'll be familiar. There's one going on with medical at the moment. They're looking at uh, like these uh, advanced medical mods, like cat, cat advanced medical and things like that. Um, we've not made a decision on that yet, but they're doing a lot of work on making it work. You've probably seen some test ops where they've been playing with it, and so as and when we have more information on that, we will. But uh, CSIPs aren't limited to medical. We made the decision that we want to do a complete revamp of leadership uh, like we did for communications but again we need the manpower to do it it's a very difficult thing to do so um the general attitude there is that no sop is ever finished and we always tackle the oldest sops leadership is now one of the oldest sop groups and is hideously out of date and needs some some improvement and so um our, our attitude is always that improvements can be made and we we make new SOPs all the time, but we also need to write down best practices um, when we find that things don't work anymore or, or if people aren't following it, maybe it's not clear enough. So, um, yeah, CSIP at the moment means that, but generally it just means that attitude that we have towards SOP, which is highlighted in the new um, SOP of SOPs. On that note as well, Miller has a question, because CSIPs are continuous but they will usually drop in in a sitrep we're in one go um so Millar's asking are there any plans to help people keep track of sop changes maybe through a one pager with the most important sop content for a respective role and a follow-up from me there let's say you are, are on your role preferences that we put in on the website if you are interested in a role and want training you get pinged when a sop changes for that comment area mm -hmm. Um, 
two answers. Um, no. Second answer. In my head, I'm thinking of a, a really easy solution to that, though, which is a page that just shows you change log by last updated time. Yeah. Um, and actually, now with the SOP portal, we do have uh, version tracking, so it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to do that. So the answer is, is yes, no, but also yes, because we could could do that. The second part of the question about um, important changes to roles is a really interesting one because that's actually not so much of a SOP thing as we've approached with RCS, which is, and for those not f familiar with the role certification system, um, perhaps someone can find in HQ announcements the um, role certification card for radio operator. Just quickly, maybe post that into Tafcast live chat just so people can see what it looks like. But in the role certification system, every role that is supported by it has a list of things that you should be able to do in that role like you should be effective at and basically what the rcs does is if a sop changes um that's linked to one of those things so let's say as a radio operator you need to be able to send a cas rep if the sop changes for a cas rep it invalidates your certification or it, not not immediately but warns you that if you don't um if you don't get your cert card updated that you'll lose <laughs> William. Uh, that you'll lose your certification. <laughs> so that's what the role center is there to do. It's designed to help the people that don't need to grind the tier because they they think they know it. And it's also there to handhold the people that want to understand, look, what have I got to improve? Because this is something we don't have at the moment, right? If you come out of a mission and you're unsure and you're like, what could I do better? That's what the role certification system's there for. So what Zuka just posted is um the draft version of the RCS for role uh, for radio operator. Important. And, uh, this is a draft. Yeah. And when you look at it, you need to go and read the, um, if you've not read it, you need to go read the RCS one pager from SIRAP uh, 14 before you interpret that, because it's probably not going to make any sense to you. But that gives you an idea of what, what what's called abilities. So SOPs have abilities linked to them. And if, to answer Miller's question, if a SOP changes, then your abilities will flash at you. And that's how you know that a change has been made. So, for example, in, in Miller's case, if we did go with the recommendations of the medical CSIP and the medical system changes, then it would flag up on all the medics cards that the abilities have changed. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm still uh, working on not saying anything about flashing, but <clears throat> yeah, uh, in general, so this would also mean that the current CSIPs, which are sort of focused on their specific teams, an example for medical, uh, only sort of the relevant people have a direct input on a like day-to-day -day basis when they change something, when they schedule something on it. Uh, would this open it up together with the sub portal? Would someone that is just interested in, for example, helping out with the medical, would they be sort of a, be able to tune into the sub portal and look at like what's changing and help out with drafting and everything like that? Well, I mean, um, it's already out. Any, anyone could use the SOP yeah. portal. Yeah. In fact, you can probably go find the draft SOPs that are being drafted for the SITREP if you dig hard enough. I think most of it is public, to be fair. I mean, if you're reading a draft SOP, please don't think that's final because it probably isn't. But there you go. So many spelling mistakes. Yeah. It's crazy, James. <laughs> right. Uh, school, anything more from the chat hole? Uh, there was one when we were talking about the release of yeah. Armour 4. 
Yeah. How long would it be taking for us to start doing operations again? Or how would the trans what would the transition look like? I suppose is the question. Ha uh ha. -huh. Um, might be a thing to go into detail for in a different tough cast. So, but just a short one. Yeah, when, when it already, comes out, I think, I think we've already covered it before. I've had the great fortune of going through two major platform changes. Um, they have the habit of killing uh, units like ours um, relatively quickly. Um, am I worried about that? Marginally worried. Um, but we built UNITAF very specifically to combat this problem. It's the reason why we don't have fixed door bats. Um, the plan for Armour 4 is quite simple. We continue doing what we're doing in Armour 3, and we just um, simply, when you go to the op schedule, I think there'll be an Armour 3 logo and an Armour 4 logo, and we will do both. And it, the switch and how quickly we move will be dictated by who slots and how much they slot uh, by. And at some point, Armour 3 will die a horrible death and will only be on Armour 4. Um, so it's it's um it's it's normally if you didn't have our system you'd have to decide on this date we will switch but that's not what we'll do we'll we'll do both and try and support both but because if anyone that's been through major changes like this knows that task force doesn't come out straight away ace doesn't come out straight away you essentially start with vanilla armor 3 as it was at the time and uh it takes 8 9 months at least usually for things to 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 kick into place but there's that novelty i know it doesn't feel like it now but when armor 3 came out there's that novelty of it the engine is just so much better oh my god look how amazing the physics are which is quite funny to say now considering uh how, how we uh address the physics now but but armor 4 will have that same jaw right it's going to be phenomenal from a scale perspective from a graphics perspective so we'll support both you can have, see every strand of hair flowing in the wind long manes for everybody Magnificent beards, and the the same glitch that we had before with the mortars, where you just launch yourself into the air as soon as you fire a shot. Definitely. <laughs> At least we get to see Jenkins's bold head and high fidelity. Ah, uh, Im imagine that with uh with RTX on, uh, not RTX with uh oh, what's the lighting thing called? The real time reflections thingamajig. Ray tracing. Ray tracing. Yeah. You you weren't far off. It is in RTX. Thank you. Yeah, See, I, I'm I, sure I, there'll be. I'm sure there'll be some great ops in Armour Four with just twenty, thirty players. But for for me, what we do is always run about <laughs> uh, t teamwork at scale, and um, the whole goal here is two hundred people, two hundred fifty people doing what we do on a Sunday over X hours. Like that. That's what we're building. We're trying to build our systems for. To be the most organized people to do it that relies on quality which we'll come on to but but that that's why you need a new platform because this 12 year old platform can barely get by with 50 60 70 players and ai i mean even our 70 men orbits are really really pushing it and every object that is not used that is not absolutely necessary needs to go for every literally every frame you can spare uh, is is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, I mean, you've really got to look at what's happening in the rest of the gaming community, really, to to understand what what's possible. Battle Royale. Um, anyway, good. I talked about this in like Tafka Seven, where I think it'll be like procedural map generation, like three hundred kilometers, like three thousand kilometers squared, and all that's good stuff. But we'll just have to wait and find out. Won't we? 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're already talking about missions, and I think we can take it to the next point here, and that is something William noted. Uh, noted. I think Noah noted it today in general chat, and well, this is the topic to talk about it now. Uh, it's the current trends in mission ratings and all the data we've had and are looking at, and just some, I don't know, some 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 words to it, James. Um, I mean, it, yeah. So, it, I mean, people really need to. I mean, I don't know if you want to post links to it or, or images, but people really need to look at Unistats if they've not looked at it to to understand this. This is something we've been talking about since November, December. So it's not it's not particularly news. But the fact that it's not improved, yeah, I guess it's news and <laughs> warrants uh, discussion. So for a bit of history, uh, AARs, we've got, what, 11,000 of them uh, till now. Um, and, and roughly, if you look on Unistats, when we started 2019, early 2020, you know, the average mission was in the 70s in terms of percent. We've never changed the formulas or the way that AARs are collected, right? So the data is... Um, reliable in that sense because you're comparing apples with apples um but we've we've been on an upwards trend for um you know two 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 and a half years but what we're seeing now is is a downwards trend and, and some people said in j5 earlier and which is accurate you know this is not a massive percentage but you have to actually understand how much data it's based on to to realize that it's a downward trend and that's not a good thing um in November, December, we we'd addressed it. We brought out a policy to solve some of the problems that we thought uh, were contributing towards it. But there, uh, it's a very complex subject, right? It's just not one thing that's wrong here. There's a number of things that, that are wrong. And the first challenge is to find out, okay, what exactly are the biggest contributors to this problem, which we have a lot of data on anyway, so I can give you some pretty good indications. And the second thing is, what, what can we actually do about it, right? Um... And so I, I can only confirm that, yes, it exists. And one of the reasons why we made Unistats a public thing is so you guys can see it exists as well. Um, but the challenge is, is doing something about it. I think the, the biggest thing that we've identified and we want to clamp down on is sort of repeat mistakes or repeat uh, missteps that, are, that happen over and over again, which can uh, lead to a noticeable dip in either performance ratings or mission ratings. And I mean, it happens to everyone. Uh, everyone sort of gets into a habit of, this is how I do my missions, this is how I do my stuff. <laughs> I'm absolutely no exception to this. Uh, sometimes you just sort of need a refresher on, on uh, well, what you did wrong or what exactly happened. And that's why uh, a lot of time, besides making missions, is also looking at your past performances. You look at the ARs, you look at the ratings, you look, what could I have done better? And of course, I don't want to scare anyone off from, from making missions. I don't want to sort of intimidate anyone uh, because that's something you see over and time and time again is that when someone makes their first bunch of missions, they're like, oh, I'm so nervous about it. Is this going to go the right way? Is this, uh, will this work out the way I expect it? And will they like it as much as as, as I think they will? And I can say that's absolutely it's absolutely normal. I mean, yeah, reading I mean anyone that's read them knows reading ARs is nerve wracking. Oh, absolutely. I, I used to read I, I I don't do it as much now, but I mean certainly I, I I used to at a certain point read every AAR. I mean there's far too many now for me to read it read them all. 
and I obviously read the ones of the missions that I go to, but generally I used to to read all of them. Um, and even I got like, even I got like a something in my stomach when it wasn't it wasn't even an op I like didn't go to. Um, but but just to talk about some of this data, yeah. So the graph that I posted, um, and I've posted a link if people are looking at Unistats, but that scatter graph, just so people that have not used it before, that's three years worth of data. And the, the bottom uh, data group in, in the sandy color is um, operation size. So what you can tell, and you can see the faint trend line there, which is a linear trend line. So oh, just sorry, quick, quick warning before anyone clicks on the link, it's quite graphic. Really, Zuka? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the sandy, <laughs> the sandy color has a, a, a linear trend line, so it's propped up by historic data. Yeah, um, you can see exponentially how the size of deployments has increased. But what you can tell from this graph is that we still do a respectable spread of small, medium, and large deployments. Yeah, whereas in early 2019 we only did small deployments because ultimately we didn't have many people. The other thing you, you can probably tell is that the number of deployments has increased massively, and you can you can just look at. Uh, I put other graphs in uh, my annual uh, my annual uh, reviews that demonstrate that. Uh, for example, we did more deployments in January this year than we did the entirety of the first half of 2020 and 2019 together. Um, what we're really talking about is this dark blue at the top, this navy blue, the deployment ratings, right? So you see the trend line start at uh, 78% or whatever and go up to just over 90%. If you go on the homepage, it will say that there's been 11,000 AARs based on 90%, right? That's because that's the moving average. But it's not going to stay there for very long, because as you can see from my very crude red lines, that's the actual short-term trend. So if you ignore the trend line itself, um, and the fact that it's going up, if you did that data set on a three-month basis, it's actually going down. And you can sort of see that. And the big problem is how many of these dots fall below the line, or certainly near the red line. And um, the problem with viewing the data in this way is that you, you could get a 20-man special force deployment rate 9.9 .9 out of 10, and then yesterday, uh, 65, 70-man deployment rate 7.8 out of 10. And this is pulling the, the data down quite substantially. And as Zuka says, we, have, we can come and look at that in terms of uh, why is that? And you know, I'm happy to go into those. I've obviously got a lot of in insight into some of this stuff. There's maybe two other sources I'll post that people may find interesting. Um, one of the bits of research I've done is that an another thing that's not that easy to to determine in our uh, system is the AAR system is an average. So if you're if you're a GM or a field leader and your mission gets uh, eight out of ten. That could mean that a hundred percent of the deployment found that op somewhere between good and excellent, or it could mean that a third of the op found it excellent, a third of them found it good, and a third of them found it piss poor. It's an average, so it will get drawn by different elements. So when you've got different squads or different platoons in different places, right, that means that it could be skewed. So you could have two ops with the exact same rating. With low, with one op has loads of dissatisfied people on it, and the other one has a unity of people that are not exceptionally happy, but happy. So, the other data that I've done is I've taken the eleven thousand AARs, put it on this graph, 
which is a satisfaction versus dissatisfaction. So the people that rated it, i.e. below 50%, so the bottom two ratings, uh, that's a percentage of total AARs in years and months on the bottom. And then the blue line at the top is percentage of total AARs, again, on the same three-year period, where they're satisfied. Satisfied being based on anyone that ticks the good or great, or good or excellent, sorry, box. And dissatisfied being anyone that selects the okay or poor box. As you can see, James really excels at making visual data. See, people that think that he comes up with these jokes beforehand is he really doesn't. This is how his brain works. Yeah, I'm just making a PowerPoint here. <laughs> William. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, for anyone that wants to, if you if you correlate that, um, if, if you correlate that graph with um, um, with the the one on Unistats, you'll see what I mean. This gives a bit of a better representation of the short term issue, which is basically since if you look at I guess November, the dissatisfaction coming up, and but yeah, historically, if you look at it, you know. Over time, it's been quite high, but then we had less people at that time, right? So, again, I'll give you the actual data set so you can see what it looks like in, in numbers, just for people that are uh, interested in that, where that data from that graph came from. So that that's that's months and years, the total number of AR submitted in that month and year, the number that were dissatisfied, the number that were satisfied, and then the percentages. So while you can see that the percentage of dissatisfaction was, say, higher in 2019, the number is obviously less because of the size of the task force at that time. Used to be quite sheet. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. <we're... laughs> I saw a few questions further up ahead before. <laughs> All of the groaning and moaning about my shitty puns uh, sort of <laughs> started rolling in. <laughs> uh, just quickly harking back to the point of uh, if if you make your first mission here, or if you do a, any sort of leading mission making, whatever, the worst thing you can do, and I mean, this is true in, in real life, I guess, as well. If you take a test and you didn't spend the next two weeks until it takes you to get the results back, worrying about it, oh, how, how did it go? How did it do? If you keep on refreshing the AAR page after the mission has indexed for the past, like, or the next four days until all the ARs have rolled in, you're doing yourself no well. Uh, I, I used to do this and it was it was absolutely nerve-wracking before even like all the ARs came in and just looked at it like oh it went from a 8.9 to an 8.7 oh no I'm I'm done for I made a shit mission <laughs> or whatever uh <laughs> sorry I still can't get over all the <laughs> screenshot uh William asked if there was a sort of resource available for GMs to pull their do's and don'ts uh Yes, I've sort of uh, written it all up. I just need to put it in the sub portal and get it out of there. Sorry, get it approved. Uh, I've written a sort of comprehensible guide on like all the the goods and no nos and the bads and the do dos. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, the, the, so to pick up on that, so the. Yeah. The graph and the table which I posted, um, I, I was surprised when I saw that, right? Because that's not as drastic as I thought it would be. 
And if you look at it actually historically, if you look at like pre-October 20, the, dissatisf the dissatisfaction is much higher than it is now. But what that tells me is that the average AR ratings coming down means that it's not necessarily people voting it poor and okay that's the problem. It's that more people now are weighted towards good than they are excellent. We went through a period maybe start of last year to talk towards the end of last year where most all operations were getting like maxed out ratings. And we're not doing that at the moment. And that's the source of a lot of the roughly 8% decrease in, in total um, ARs. And, and what you're saying is quite right, which is our approach till now on this problem, and to go back to the original question, is, which is why, why do we think we're seeing this trend? Because we've just looked at the data. It's visibly there. We have a lot of data to go on. Um, originally in, in December and January when we started to make SOP changes because traditionally, I mean, what you've got to respect is that the organisation is so big now and there's so many operations that I can't physically be everywhere and so it's not possible for me to like click my fingers and fix this problem and no, nobody is able to do that. Um, if you go back 12 months, there was max two or three field leaders leading all operations and maybe five or six SUSEs leading all operations, right? So it's much easier to affect a change. There's around 30 unique people now running everything. So I have, I may be able to make decisions and implement policies, but I can't be everywhere at once and I can't force people to follow them. Um, so, so what we have to do here is really careful. We have to first identify the problem. I can certainly issue directives to to, to fix these issues and to push them in the right direction but it relies on people adhering to those um, and so the first thing we did was introduce the pre and post mission briefing for mission support teams because even though we knew that parachuting a nun into a RPG <laughs> wasn't realistic and that did happen for anyone that wasn't there we, we said from that point we can't make this mistake again there is no time where an assistant game master should be able to do something that doesn't fit with the campaign story and therein was born the rule that if you do sign consist you say what you are doing so that other people in the channel can say no stop why are you parachuting a nun into the AO that doesn't make any sense so these are the sort of steps that we have to take um, and it's all down to SOP but part of our problem is that we know things are wrong and we're still making those mistakes and so this is a big part of the problem uh skull i think we've gotten a lot of good questions in here and a lot of good yeah. sort of comments and notations and uh so uh, for everybody <laughs> who hasn't noticed i have pinned the the data the graphs for satisfaction as well and you will always find unistats on the website if you go to the menu um so as for data michael asked if we could make the raw data more accessible without compromising anonymity is that at all possible um, yeah, I don't see why not. Um, I would, if you're interested in that, I would maybe pick it up in J10 another time. What mm -hmm. is that you, you, you think would be helpful? Cause again, going back to the previous conversation, if someone's going to make all the graphs for me, I'm more than happy to, 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 uh, delegate that responsibility. So yeah, if, if there's a certain raw data that you're after and you think it'd be useful, we'll certainly consider it. Yeah, it'd be quite cool because actually brought up that there might be a use for a, uh, standard deviation graph as well to show a bit more of a, a helpful picture rather than global trends. It's, it's um, partly why we put Unistats out there, but that doesn't give you, if somebody wants to do something funky with that data, right, it doesn't give them the, the ability to do that. So um, 
the ideal world is that we understand which how, how representing our data most helps us to understand uh, trends and and then putting those into Unistat so that we can look at them in real time. Mm-hmm. And Miller asked if it's possible to switch to a um, to a more granular system where he says sometimes he's got missions that aren't excellent, but they're also not six or seven point five, which good nominally is. So would would there be room for a little more granularity? It may just be me, but I don't think I understand the question. So instead uh, of going from a sort of one to four, <clears throat> which we have now, yeah. which is poor, uh, below standard, okay, and excellent, or whatever the four categories are, I don't so do ten in my head. Yeah, instead of that, going uh, one to four, you have a sort of one to ten for each sort of block that you have, because it averages out at, uh, or sort of puts a value behind it at the moment anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, not completely out of the question. Uh, part of our, we, it's something we maybe have considered doing before, but obviously the, as time goes on, the, the the chance of us doing it goes down because it's sort of this historic data. And obviously after you make a change to the way you're collecting that data, all your historic data won't really match up with it. So uh, I'm not a data scientist. It, it's something we've talked about doing. Are we likely to do it anytime soon? I'm not sure, but if there was a value to doing it and it didn't take a huge amount of time out of other things, then maybe we would look to do that. Wouldn't it also kind of lead back to the whole comparing apples to apples and then comparing apples to pears? Sort of changing the formula, yeah? Well, that's the only reason why we've not done it because it, it, it did mm-hmm. come up um, earlier. But obviously, at one point, we decided to do it that way. Um, one of the things that we will do, um, to, to my point, so this, this is something that we'll, we will do, is on the AAR summary, um, we're going to put that percentage satisfied, percentage dissatisfied, because people don't really realize this, but you could look at five different 7.5s out of 10, and they'd have wildly different satisfaction ratings. So we're going to roll that in so people can see that, because it will help you to understand when your 7.5 is a split opinion. So you've got uh, you've got a certain element that really enjoyed it, and you've got a certain element that didn't. It's a very common thing that happens, and so that statistic will give you a very good indication about the unanimity of of the score, if that makes sense. Not necessarily the accuracy, because it's still accurate. You know, one element enjoyed it, one didn't, but the average is quite deceiving sometimes. And something that's might be worth noting here is that there isn't like a set sort of guideline on when you should rate something excellent or just good, and you're sort of stuck in between, hmm, if I had to put it in the number value from 1 to 10, that was more of an 8 for me than it was a 6 that I assign a, a good to or whatever. Uh, that's for a reason, isn't it, James? It's mainly because we want we don't want to sort of subject you to uh, we don't having... Want people, we don't want people sitting on the fence. I want to know, did you enjoy it? Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Um, it's very black and white. You know, it could be two options. Yes, it was good. No, it wasn't. We've got four. I can accept the argument for ten because you've got you got way more opportunities there. Um, but I think we can, as long as people are voting it properly and they they genuinely put in what they feel, we understand whether something was enjoyable or not. And I know we're talking at length now about that data and what it means, but we're only able to do that because we've collected it eleven thousand times. And we're just very fortunate that we did have that foresight because it obviously affords us the ability to, to do that. 
Skull, anything more from the backlog? Yes, I'm trying to figure out what Rizzler is saying. Good luck. <laughs> um, I think Rizzler is positing something to chat mostly, but I do want to pick it up. Um, how we are, or oh, how oh. people rate the mission, from what perspective. Did they enjoy the mission um, experientially because they had good people around them? Or do they rate the mission in the scope of the mission, the reducing, the leading? And I mean, we kind of give everybody the opportunity to rate them just in those scopes with our categories. And if you still enjoy the mission, even though you might have rated something poor or okay, then that's what your overall rating is for, if I'm, is I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you need to make sure you're you're using the subcategories. Yeah. All the data we're talking about right now is overall, but that's very deliberate, right? Um, if anything, my role now is purely just making sure we exist in 12 months' time. If people aren't enjoying it, they're not going to be here in 12 months' time. So when I draw a lot of attention to these overall ratings, it's because these are what matter. You could have hated the leadership, uh, but had a great time. It doesn't mean you're not mm-hmm. going to be here in 12 months' time, right? So I'm not taking anything away from that because realism is important, server performance is important, and there's a lot of correlation between these subcategories and the overall ratings. But we still pay attention to those. It's just that this happens to be one of the most important things, if not the most important thing that that I should look at, which is ultimately, uh, this is very plain for me, plain and simple. We are essentially an entertainment business that makes no money, so an entertainment charity. Um, It's a bit like, as I've said to the OCC before, it's a bit like being a film company like disney or whatever you bring a film out if people go to it and they come out and say that was a shit film they're less likely to go watch the next one some people are stupid and they'll still go watch it anyway but if they come out and go that was awesome you've only got to look at what's that fucking company that makes adventures Mar- marvel you know they just gamed the whole system every film they make is like nine out of ten and it's the same concept so the subcategories are important but overall we this is entertainment right so if you're not entertained there's a problem and we need to be able to Identify that. Mm-hmm. Guessing you don't um, go to the cinema a lot, James. I don't actually, but I, I don't think I've, I've only probably seen two Marvel films, but I just know that they're big things. So. Yeah, the big shooty yeah. shooty action movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. truly something to marvel at. Oh, get up. No one's asking if we've already made out a reason for why the ratings have been trending downwards. Uh, we kind of touched on it, but is there something we can put into? Uh, specific words hmm. so I, i'll just tell you what my current understanding of the situation is and, and what our approach to it is so it's something we've been tracking since december we introduced policies to change some of the things that we thought were the problem so the very first thing we identified is that in a lot of the debriefings we're coming out with the same problems so uh, an example of some things we know are big no-nos are server performance direct correlation between server FPS and overall mission rating. If the game masters are not on top of it, it's going to be a bad mission. So that's something that where when we see those mistakes over and over, it's a problem. Um, moonless night missions, same problem. Rain, heavy fog, same problem. So there's a lot of things that are happening in missions, not necessarily now, and I'm not here to point fingers at anyone, but this is that same category of we've learned this mistake and we keep making this mistake. And the only way to go forward and to go forward is to not make those mistakes. Now, I know what 
whoever's going to ask the question is going to ask next is why, why are we making the mistakes? Very good question. Um, I go back to and my theory on this. And again, it's hard to have data on this, but what I can say to you is 12 months ago, if you add up the number of unique game masters, unique field leaders, it's less than 10. If you add it up today, it's more than 30. We've also had retired probably about half of those original less than 10 people. So think about UNITAF as um, it, it's useless how much information I know or Skull knows or Zuka knows because we're not able to be everywhere anymore. And ironically, even though I know some things, I still don't practice them at times. Yeah, We're all human. We're all prone to that. Um, the the organization as a whole, UNITAF, has this like brain of knowledge, but not everyone in the organization knows that knowledge. My role and what we have to try and do is when we learn things as an organization, we have to teach people that thing. What we learn as game masters is right or wrong, and what we learn as field leaders is right or wrong. We have to be able to teach that to other game masters and to other field leaders. It's no good knowing it and having it written down if nobody actually knows it. And this, I think, is a it's not a big part. I account for this to be about thirty percent of of this of the factor of this uh, downward trend is having SOP uh, or knowing that something is right or wrong, but not actually adhering to it. Um, this goes, there's loads of other examples of this, like two dual AO emissions where you've got two elements very far apart from each other, not contributing. Yesterday is a good example of that. Um, these are all things that we have hard data on being not good things. Defensive ops, it's another one. There's uh, two, 3% of defensive ops, very highly rated. The rest, very lowly rated. So, uh, you know, that, I would say accounts for a third of it. The ability to know what's right and wrong and then actually propagate that throughout the organisation. But it's so obvious now because there's such a larger number of people doing things. And by the way, it's not a bad thing. I think we want more people to get involved. The challenge to solve now is quality control. Yeah, and I mean, with every new GM and every new sort of mission maker coming in, campaign creator, campaign manager, whatever, uh, they always come in with a fresh perspective and I mean, not to always hark back to this, but Overture is I think the perfect example of this and something I could have never done as a, as a mission maker. And there's this sort of uh, story driven focused on a lot of RP missions with very little shooting, very little uh, actual shooting and action going on, but it was just so gripping, so engaging uh, that it just, had people coming back and getting really good ratings. So while it's it's a bit unfair to say that all of these hard factors are like this unbreakable barrier, we've had some absolutely great missions with Fog. We've had some absolutely great... Well, actually, I'd have to think about the Moonless Night one. I'm not no, quite no, sure I mean, about that one. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're quite right. Um, this is the challenge. Uh, you have to be open to new ideas, but equally, you have to know uh, it's, it's such a difficult thing. You have to be open to new ideas, but at the same time, we're now sat in a position where <laughs> it's like I told you so. It, it, that's not the attitude we have to it, but we are making these mistakes. Um, and like I say, that's not, I'd account for that being maybe 30% of the overall impact. So it's not a massive part, but it but it is a part. And so when I say it's a quality control thing, what you're seeing with role certification, with lesson plans, is our focus now not on quantity we're reducing quantity 
both in recruitment and in number of deployments, both to um, respond to what we're calling post-COVIDity, um, and and also just because um, you know people aren't deploying as much at the moment, we're going into summer. That's going to be quite common. The focus now on quality, right? Quality of people in roles, quality of game masters, quality of field leaders, and we need to apply those lessons and and you know work on that. Mm -hmm. um crossy um, brought up a point up oh, go on sorry i was just going to say so if if that was a, a third of of what i think the factors are um what what would be the other contributing factor so, someone said to me and I, I tend to agree with this that if you expand that slightly outwards that same logic can be applied to everything right which is the organization is three times larger than it was uh, a year ago so you have more people in more roles our leaders are statistically less experienced. Our game masters are statistically less experienced. So this perhaps has a factor as well. Um, and equally, there's this difficulty thing, right? We went through a phase, and you probably heard me say it before, where I said, you know, we're going to start quoting conventional operations. Because those of you that are long timers know that we never used to do conventional ops ever. Uh, Aisha was the first conventional campaign we did. And we used to avoid them like the plague, right? It sounds stupid. I mean, we just liked easy ops, right? They're more enjoyable, less less uh, less of a headache. We do so many of them now. And I think we're that conditioned now to it that when I say to game masters, no, I want you to do counterinsurgency, they label their operation counterinsurgency, but in reality, it's actually conventional just with, with a different name tag on it. So um, it's way harder to focus on policies, to focus on procedures, to focus on executing formations. You know, war is not fun. War is not hard. Dying, getting shot, as I'm sure you all appreciate. Simulating that like for life. That's a quote. Is not Holy. fun. Right? Um, and if you compare that to the deployments we would do 12 months ago, 14 months ago, versus now, they are a lot more kinetic. And so I've tried to encourage the game us to think about that a bit more. And... If there's anything that we'll do SOP-wise and I want people to take away specifically as game masters and specifically as leaders is think about nothing else in your mission other than the, the player's enjoyment because I think that's something we used to focus on a lot 12 months ago, 18 months ago. And it's, I'm not saying that people aren't focusing on it now. There's not a GM anywhere that sits down and goes, I'm going to try and make the worst mission ever. But every decision we make must be based on is this going to be an enjoyable experience? The, the, whether it's challenging or not, it's important, but that's secondary. Also, something that uh, people might not realize or might not even be to know about is how much a field leader is sort of working together with uh, the intel officer or the SGM, GM, whatever. Because at the end of the day, they're sort of uh, responsible for the whole execution part of it, while Zeus is at the same time bearing the same way of running the mission and uh, preparing everything up to that moment so it is always a team effort and why well, it's a bit hard or harsh to sort of separate the AR and saying oh mission was best ever execution was suboptimal uh, because at the end of the day it's 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 the teamwork between the two parties so to say that makes a good mission you can't have a good mission without uh, with bad execution and you can't have a good mission, or sorry, a, a good mission that has everything going wrong from the start, but the field leader is doing the absolute best they can. Uh, so it's it's 
it is 50-50 both parties that factor in together into that rating. And that's why also like debriefs, looking at AARs, everything is done in uh, in this plenum of both having the FL and uh, the GM or the GM team on board and looking at things. Uh, maybe, of course, some sometimes picking out things that they think is more relevant for the GM or some things that are more relevant execution-wise. But it's 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 this big joint effort. Yeah, I think um, you know to recap those things. I think I think the biggest contributing factors are the sheer number of people delivering these deployments and the fact that we need to get better at getting all those people on the same page. We are now proactively investigating any mission that gets less than eighty-five percent. It's an active thing that J three does. They'll go speak to the field leaders, the IO. And they report back. Um, that's giving us a bit of insight. Um, as I said, generally, just new. people or anything lower than campaign and operational level but i'm going to give leaders and gms access to their own averages so what's your average mission rating or average report for missions in which you were the field leader for missions in which you were the io for missions in which you were the game master because i've looked at the data and i can tell you it is very telling and i don't say that again to point fingers but i want to know what my trend is and i want to know what i need to do to fix it and i think we should all do that Maybe a bit of an interesting uh, scenario to look at, or maybe see, is uh, since I've, or me and Scully have both been uh, very uh, involved in the whole recruitment and retention thing, uh, J1, is that if you, just as an example, not trying to generalize, of course, you have person A that has 8,000 hours in armor and is coming to us with basically a wealth of uh, previous experience, then you have person B, he's got maybe 80 hours in the game. He's pretty fresh to it. He's he's done his uh, King of the Hill. He's done his public Zeus thingy. And he comes here and he's just completely blown away by... Uh, I've had people basically gasp and awe at just seeing how our Orbat works. And that's sort of this, this honeymoon period uh, James mentioned. It's it's nice to see that people can be excited about something like this. And it's it's always very cool to sort of get someone that's, that's new to the game and that's new to the, the whole genre of uh, cooperative uh, sort of military gameplay and have them settle in. Uh, but again, it's not something that lasts forever. And I think one of the anecdotes was if our standard has sort of lifted itself 
uh, in the past maybe two years. I think that was from Crossy, wasn't it, Skull? Like way, way above. Do you mean the who rates good and excellent and uh, that remember. and like generally sort of the uh, expectations rising in in the past months, years, whatever. I think when I look at the three year data set, right, I see something different. Right, I'm someone that's been here for the whole the whole time. Mm-hmm. You look at the early days, and look how low the average ratings are, and look at how it consistently went up. Right, we knew we knew eight months ago it wasn't going to last forever, and I think the reality is if you, if you look at the starting eight, there's maybe two people from Unitaf starting eight that are still active. What you're seeing is a cyclic thing, which is the people that retire are being replaced by new people. So we're starting again every week, every month, every year, but only gradually. So what we're seeing is because of exponential growth 12 months ago, we're now seeing the the effects of that because a lot of the learned thing, so people that knew the SOP, you know, that have been here for all the time, you know, once they retire, you're starting again, you're starting again. So I think that goes a long way to, to demonstrate where our issues are. Um, across the board and and so that's why like like i say things like rcs are there to qc roles uh, across the board and not just qc them but to help you understand like what do i need to do to be good at this role yeah i think that plays a bit into what chris brought up about how when things get tough the sop goes out the window and the organization is probably the first thing that breaks down or certainly sub adherence is. And um, the more people want will want to... Oh, sorry. With the RCS, more people will want, will want to show that they are capable in a job and they're going to have something to work off of to improve themselves um, with direction and purpose. And I think that's going to help massively. That also yeah, I- sort of goes back once again to the whole... Uh... Uh, kineticism you you talked on about James is if we take just as an example last Sunday's mission where things got very chaotic very fast uh, it's definitely something that happens uh, when you get into a pinch you try everything to sort of claw on and keep everything going which can be interesting Uh, it can be very tough tense and it can lead to some interesting uh, decisions being made Uh, but as James said sort sometimes sort of toning down the intensity of a mission. Well, not not necessarily the intensity, but more like this whole kineticism you have going on. And once again, sort of harking it back to the whole coin operation, uh, where we can focus more on how we do things rather than just getting things done any way possible. Uh, it's something we're looking at, and it's oh, I'm almost afraid to say this, but I'm, it's something I'm going to be trying out Sunday, or me and James are going to be trying out this Sunday with uh, Honey Badger. Uh, sort of maybe dialing down the contact a little bit and sort of seeing that we can do things the clean way instead of quick and dirty. Uh, I think I think, I think Chris is right. I think, you know, I, I've always been anti-geneticism. I, I'm a fundamental believer that, like I say, if, if you want to simulate there's a re- I play a lot of uh, Battlefield Five um, currently with uh, my brother, and um, you know that's only fun because I can respawn every fifteen seconds when I die. You know you can't do that 
uh, in our system. Our system is fundamentally about teamwork. It's about um, if somebody goes down, how do you deal with that dilemma? If there's a guy with a bomb vest, how do you deal with that dilemma? If it's, That's what it's about. As soon as you try and turn that into all-out warfare, it's not fun. Um, it was never built to be that way. And, you know, we have, with certain campaigns, gone down that road of going down a more kinetic route. And that may be something that I think could work in, in Armour 4, you know, maybe with performance being slightly better. But fundamentally, it's just not fun, you know. Um, like I say, I hate, I hate the meat to, grinder. I, yeah, I hate to... I mean, in that context, it can be. You know, if it's built to be a meat grinder, but I don't mean day in, day out, op after op. Um, it's not something we ever really set out to do. And I, and I just think it's a, I just think it's a habit that we've maybe got into. Um, and of course, new GMs are, uh, are taught to follow the experienced GMs. So if we're churning out that stuff, they look at that and go, that's what we need to do. And I would argue that, you know, when Jasmine came in with things like Overture, that, that was exactly the sort of right direction. And uh, like you say, on Sunday, we've been chatting about how we might do that. And it's not about having less contact. It's about thinking about what we're doing. You know, not just shooting stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, time will tell. We look at the ARs and we we, we already said we know there's going to be a few that say, where's all the contact? Um, but, I mean, just look at Sunday night, like everyone buzzing off of that extract. You know, what's that got to do with shooting stuff? It's a lot of cinematics and things in it. To me, it's all about the scale of what you're doing and it's it's not about how much lead you can fire downrange. Yeah, and it's it's a very real problem and something I've sort of, Fallen, uh, fallen victim to is sort of this trying to one up each and every one of your uh, deployments or ops you do. So like, okay, next one's gonna be bigger and better. Okay, next one's gonna be even bigger and better. Yeah, and then I mean, it's, it's, the next one's gonna be the biggerest, the the, the betterest. Well, the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> if you go back to like Tafcast Six, we were having this exact same conversation, right? But the question in the chat was, our operations are always so easy and we always win. Like, when are we gonna fail some ops? Right, and so our reaction to that over the course of a year is to make these ops harder, and now we're having the opposite conversation. We didn't find the middle ground, and that's something that we need to correct. And the the, the reason we were in that position was because we were gaming those ARs like we wanted the nine the nine point nines out of ten all the time. And to be fair, we were pretty much there. You know, most every week was like nine point four, nine point five, nine point six, but people wanted a bit more of a challenge. We delivered it, but at the expense of overall enjoyment and i think the challenge here is that people can choose what deployments they go to so we need to be as accurate as possible explaining to them what they are but we need a middle ground not full full-on all-out warfare and not completely mind-numbingly boring either true it's this big thing we have the possibility to do we have the resources to do is uh sort of host the full spread of again full-on meat grinder down to the nitty gritty, almost detective-like sort of investigative mission that maybe you won't even fire a shot in, or maybe you fire like one shot. Uh, what was the op called? Black Tide? Dark Tide? Dark Tide? We did, uh, we did an Auxio shop didn't we, where we fired three rounds and it was like 10 out of 10. That's my, that, I think that's the whole point here. Um, you know, you could extrapolate that to 60 players and say, would that really happen? But that, that's just a fantastic example of the fact that this is not, about rounds downrange. Yeah, if you look at the chat, you have the the perfect example of sort of uh, two like different people that enjoy different things. Look at Chris's, for example. It's a sort of it's more about the 
accuracy and, and how how you can follow your procedures. Then you have Lexel saying, "I enjoy the absolute bloodbath that can be a chaotic op and <laughs> the, the, the pure meat grinder." And it, it's not like we want to uh, sort of steer clear of one or the other, uh, but it's just sort of getting a, a spread of both in and sort of hosting both of them. Uh, Skull, it's, it's been quite a while since we did chat questions. I think I saw quite a lot of pins and question marks pop up. There have been a lot, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so to pick up with the... With the... With the oldest, Noah asked, um, why wouldn't we remove the requirement to put a text in um, when we deliver a bad AAR? Since he, he, he would argue that it's better to have a more accurate rating, which is more easily reflected in the data, than to um, have people vote something good just so they can get it over with and don't have to put something in and do effort. Ah, you mean instead of someone putting in a poor and having to put yeah. in comments, they just rather uh, rate it a bit better. Because the people who do want to give it. you a comment will give you a comment regardless. And the ones that, that that feel a certain way and want to rate the mission accurately that might not necessarily know how to put that into words, they're just going to put good, excellent, and move on. I've got to speak on behalf of, of the GMs here. And, uh, th th by the way, this is not um, out of the blue. This is something that we've discussed recently and uh, mm -hmm. as recently as the last uh, officer SNC, I mean. Um, there's no chance that the, there is a 0% chance that we're going to remove the requirement to put a comment if, if you rate a mission poorly. Uh, I will get very animated for anyone that tries to argue this point. If you're going to sign up to an op, turn up for three hours, for something that's been created over for 27 hours and you can't be bothered to write a sentence, then don't bother turning up. Um, but on the flip coin, uh, the current counter to that is, uh, why don't we just force it for any rating? And that's something that we're currently discussing. Mm -hmm. uh, which hopefully will solve the point to which the question asks. Yeah, Noah, I saw your other question. That's going to come up in a in a little bit. Ah, uh, campaigns, isn't it? Yeah, William as well. Um, and Miller asked, would it be desirable to have a special deployment thing, especially for testing stuff, to probably manage the expectations a bit more, so that we can try out new things like foggy missions, defense missions, that sort of thing? Um. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, usually we would do it as a special deployment. I mean, if we're testing stuff, we're never going to do it at scale anyway. Like, mm. we test we test stuff at very small scale. Um, so it depends what it is, I guess. We just treat it on a case-by-case -case basis. We certainly wouldn't want to encourage the mass testing of stuff. Uh, that would only um, serve to, to make the ratings even worse than you know, they currently are. It's, I was about to say, it's the unknown of it, you know. Yeah, I was about to say you would probably have to either ignore or somehow <clears throat> moderate the the ratings from those deployments, in particular, because they're going to be either really bloody good or really bloody poor. Yeah, you'd sort of get a muddy pool of, uh, although they're all comments, but they would still get muddied quite a lot just in in the mass of maybe even external influences. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry to sort of 
pick up where you're going on, but Blue Wolf asked a question about advertising the sort of difficulty uh, or expect the contact level uh, upfront in an upboard or something like that. Uh, that is basically meant to be the case in their sort of designations of conventional warfare, uh, combat patrol, or the mission type that's advertised on the website. Uh, sometimes it goes to a one or the other extreme, uh, which which can happen. But generally, uh, the expected enemy picture, so to say, that's listed in the upboard and that's sort of advertised. Uh, we won't deviate too much, and that's something I tell every GM. Uh, don't throw in like a curveball that only senses to sort of pound the players down. Uh, if if they're not really expecting something, you want to throw a challenge at them. There's there's other ways to do it than massively overwhelming them. Yeah, I mean basically that we we did consider having like a you know like the spicy chilies icon you get when you're ordering a curry, um, but but obviously for level of contact. But the way it's currently supposed to work is with those types. Um, the problem is that some missions go into those types and then don't live up to to what they're supposed to be. So that is something that we are obviously looking at, but they generally should give you a pretty good indication. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, you know, that's the sort of thing to put in your AR so we can we can track that. But I'm aware that, you know, certain missions go into counterinsurgency and I would consider them conventional. Um, there is a SOP. Uh, in in progress that goes into more detail about different types of ops and what premises they should uh, be formed under. Same for historical. I think that is it for questions. Cool. Right. uh, I think we hop on to the next sort of topic on the agenda then, isn't it? Which would be, where do I have it? Ah, there we go. If you do still have questions about that, they just shove them in, skull, pin them, and we'll come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, Noah has done a really good thing, and ping me. I'll see it. <laughs> that would be really funny if you pinged Dungworth right now. Um, addendum, you can only ping me today for this, right now, never again. <laughs> Uh, next topic on the agenda is uh, deployment frequency, deployment frequencies, FTXs, updates, and oh, sort God. of the updates on uh, on the campaigns. Um, there was a question <laughs> in, in this area about campaigns or something. Um, I'm being pinged. Hang on, say again. Was there not a question about campaigns somewhere? Came up about current campaigns. Uh, yeah, there was. Noah asked if Poseidon and Everglades are on hold. And uh, so if that is because of the recent rating, sorry. Mm. So yeah, it's not uncommon. Poseidon is uh, is being phased out or scrapped, if you like. Um, those of you that went to it know that we had some some issues with the mods and the, the maps. And generally, we, we did it with Ridgeback and Hammer being the most notable examples over the years. If we just can't get something to gel, then we'll just axe it. Um, the team on Poseidon are working on something else, um, or 
are hoping to work on something else. Um, the problem with the Poseidon, in terms of it being a, a Chinese campaign, is there's just not a whole lot of options for mods and maps to do what they wanted to do. So it's probably going to turn out to be something else, but Poseidon specifically um, has been axed. And ultimately, that's just down to... Uh, not that it wasn't enjoyable, because the GM team didn't make it enjoyable, it just had performance issues, and they're not something that we have any control over, and there's no point in... Uh, you know, beating a dead body is there, so. Um, Everglade is, is not on hold. Um, it was always planned to be a multi... Uh, national. Multinational, multi-phased conflict. So it, it will continue uh, in a slightly different place, and we may or may not come back to where we've been. I don't actually know much about that. All I know is that it's going to be in different places. So it uh, it's not on hold and you should expect to see it in uh, a couple of weeks' time. From well, what scraps uh, I can pick up, and sorry, Ross isn't here, uh, we're going to have one sort of last deployment on Vita with the US in a similar style of what we had Sunday, sort of pulling our asses out, our assets out, sorry, uh, and getting out of that map. And as far as I know, and I'm not too involved with it, honestly, where it's going to be a map change and where you should be able to see a sort of change of uh, assets being used and tactics being, an uh, being employed. It should, should be a good time. I hope that serves William's question as well about what's next for Everglade. Haha, <laughs> two and one. It, it's um, to be continued. and I mean, I, I'm not being told otherwise um, from a schedule perspective. We should expect to see it not this Sunday, but next Sunday. I've not, I've not been told any different. I don't know anything about that. It's uh, to be continued. Brilliant. Um, and in terms of upcoming campaigns, there are at least two coming up, new ones. One is a replacement for enduring freedom, which will be phased out. Um, oh, similar, similar theme. Two BC to be confirmed. Should hear something on that this week. Um, and there's some teams working on some other stuff, which I can't really talk about at the moment, but um, as soon as I know, I'll let you know. And it uh, should be a World War Two coming up. So those of you that know our periodic giant Spain missions, we've got another airborne one coming up in Europe uh, late this month, early next month. And then we're going over to... Um, to look at the Soviet side of World War Two, so we'll be in winter uh, on the in the Far East uh, doing some of those campaigns and deployments, which Ooh. we will be playing uh, as the Red Army for that. I expect a lot of dub eyes, but that that obviously will be a little bit down the line because we tend to do giant Spains relatively infrequently, like once a month or so. So, uh, yeah, that's what's coming up. But Giants Bane as the Reds, I hope that's going to stir some hype. That sounds cool. Yeah, it, I hope it doesn't lead us to our... The, 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 the fuck, I messed that one up. Moving swiftly on, Noah has a question. <laughs> asking <laughs> why these terrible <laughs> ratings are, are grouped if we've got different chapters and the different, you know, even field leaders I've picked up from Dungworth. And I think Dungworth has picked up from somebody else before him. So why are all parable things grouped together and following on... Is Everglade following the same, the similar route, or no? Because Everglade is a Everglade was always planned to be that way. Um, don't ask me that question because if I had it my way, Parable would 
would have been axed and they would have had to have created a new one. <laughs> um, look, that, that, my simple answer to that question is it's part of my attitude of um, that point you made before, which is sometimes you've just got to try something new and take someone's recommendation. I, I reserve judgment as to whether we'll let that happen again or continue to let it happen. But um, Parable follows a general theme. People understand what it is. The experience is generally the same. Yes, the maps are different. Loadouts are different. Probably won't follow that principle with campaigns going forward but so what i'm it. hearing is whether or not parable and something like parable exists um depends entirely on how much you're marketer pretty much yeah. yeah and zuka mr dfl oh oh yeah oh yeah right yeah, yeah. totally yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh parable came from let's call it a different time i remember way back when we, or we when go. i sort of did my <laughs> <laughs> Did my first missions on it. Day. Back back in my day. Uh, back in my day when Powerball <laughs> first started. I think we we did that as sort of emergency measure to to be honest, like changing it to different SF uh, teams or uh, uh, sort of different nationalities uh, operating in, uh, in well, the fun, same sort of fun story uh, about Powerball, which is. Uh, Typical UNITAF delay to implementation. The SF roles when they were implemented and yes. they're currently tier four. But when RCS comes in, the only way you can deploy as SF is if you're qualified. So there'll only be about one person to get on a parable or that. So, uh, but uh, I mean, that's actually good news as well as bad news because all the new guys that like recruits and privates that are genuinely really good at their roles will be able to get certified and go to the SF ops. And all the tier four, tier five, and tier six core infantry guys that can't reload a launcher, won't be able to go. So, um... Well, there's no ammo in it. How do we reload it, James? <laughs> I agree. I agree. Give me a launcher that's just an empty tube and tell me it's loaded and tell me I'm not reloading it hard enough. I 100% agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope you have a fix for that next time. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You and I both, <laughs> and preferably before the T90 rolls out in front of me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I picked that tube up and when it went click, that was the loudest click I've ever heard. Uh, because I stood there like a like a dumbass skylining myself next to a tank. It's like, why why don't you die? It was because I didn't have ammo. So it made sense I didn't die. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I think Parable... Sort just of... like in front of that tank, you just dug your own grave. <laughs> uh, I, I do remember taking down a heli with a, with a 50 cal seconds after you gave me the order to do so. So, uh, sorry. Ah, yes. Put it back down on me then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're the field leader. You're responsible for everything. Just like I made Dung were responsible for that terrible, terrible vacation. Dung does screen. flow uphill, yes. Moving on very swiftly. Breezing on through, right? Yes. Okay, now I've already done that one. Ah, uh, where were we? Was there any more campaign-related questions? Uh, in 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 our sort of live chat here. No, not that I can see. Oh, can we implement like a Twitch system, James, that lets them donate to us and we? Uh... Ooh, we're super chat. We're charity. Super chats. If uh, we're, we're a charity that specifically loses money <laughs> year on year. You could, you could give them special like Patreon uh, benefits. They sub to our Patreon. Their their message always pings. I don't know. Everyone. Let's not do that. Oh, please, yes. <laughs> Ooh, there's a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Duncan L. Jenkins. <laughs> Michael's asking if there are any midweek campaigns planned, since we've got a lot of weekend stuff at the moment. Uh, Parable is one that's usually going to be in the week because of my time frame. But uh, fill me in, Zuka. Well, if I shall. And uh, I know James is itching to answer. Just, this I don't thing. know why you're asking Zuka because it's literally not his area. the next think... intake is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everyone seems to think I'm like responsible for. <laughs> Look, you open your mouth for and FTX. It, hey, that's that's me. You should know I mean, me by now. I literally delegate scheduling to someone, and they and they're not here, so it gets delegated back to me. Um, the so at the moment, um, one of the things we're looking at for spring summer, especially because this is the first spring summer post COVID, or like literally ever, um, we may we may need to put something out here to to so there's a couple of people suggested why don't we put out like a when to meet type tool that allows people on like a monthly basis to say what what their schedules are and when they would most likely play, so that's something we may look at, um, but we'll probably. We're still going to continue with Sundays because the actually with Sundays, right? It's like people that are working on a Monday, they're going to be at home on a Sunday night, and it's always been a popular night for us. But Fridays and Saturdays don't make much sense considering most of us will be out and doing things quite rightly. But those that work in the week, the evenings are usually a pretty safe bet. So, what I have asked the MST teams to do is to focus on scheduling Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights um, because I feel like they're going to be the stronger bet in the spring and summer. Um, and not Friday or Saturday nights. So hopefully that helps you. But like I said, we may well put out a, a tool to to gather this info so we've actually got some hard data on uh, what-if deployments, basically. Like, do you mean like a winter meet on, on your profile when you're most available? or? Yeah, but sort of, I guess, the simplest implementation would be, you know, when it says your role preferences are out of date, it just says for, like, for the coming month, what are your most likely days that you would deploy? Um, for example, and then we would just get a matrix of, and not the specific dates, right? Because I don't think we need to go into that much detail. I just want to know days of the week, which ones are you most likely to play on? Oh, that sounds like work because I've got to do that for my work as well. Because we've got retrospective data, right? But we don't have perspective data on it, so we we don't know what if we put an op on this day, would people deploy to it? People people just put ops on Saturdays because. Historically, that works, but spring, summer's a bit of a different beast. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it would kind of help if the ops were visible earlier, so you could sort of maybe even uh, take that evening off, or not not really taking it off, but sort of keeping it free. Uh, we, we, we did have this idea of uh, scheduling things like, was it two weeks, two weeks ahead? Yeah, so we... We're doing it on, so we've we've got a process now where we, we do schedule, we well, we call it forecasting. So we forecast way ahead. Um, what we probably need to do is start to show it on the op center when it's forecast confirmed because some things get forecast confirmed a week before they actually go on the op center because for those that aren't familiar with it, to get on the op center, you need to have your op, your op order and it all needs to be approved. So with the best of intentions, some mission support teams have their stuff all done two weeks before, but it doesn't get approved till a week before. So um, we could maybe do a few things like that to, to help with that. Ooh, good comment from Veek over there about upwards being uh, available earlier than, you know, let's just say, 
the same day or two days before the op actually happens. Uh, I'm absolutely guilty of this simply because I only start building the actual PBO once the briefings have finished. Uh, it's what's worked for me, and it's something that allows me to sort of tailor my PBOs and cut out any uh, any like unnecessary parts that the players won't be able to see. I think uh, I think we're all guilty of it. I mean, yeah, we, mm-hmm. we can put a part. You know, we realistically, I could put a policy out that says you know you've got to put it out before the day of the op. You know, there's stuff we could do in that area. Um, you know, it, it's definitely something that, that we need to work on. Hmm. Something that would work and would be quite interesting is sort of releasing it in stages because some parts of the upward we have finished way before we could like uh, publish the move, uh, movement plan because we should generally know about the orbit and what each team generally should be doing. So sort of releasing it in stages, first with the Warno and then putting out decompositions and blah, blah, blah. Up until I mean, you, you, you could already. You can ping the op op multiple, multiple times, can't you? Yeah, I think, I who think wants to actually, get pinged anymore? Oh, you uh, do, Skull. But actually, building it in that way might might not be, uh, you know, a terrible idea. Uh, but, Miller, but, yeah, I'm, 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 I think, I think <laughs> it's important to note for people that aren't familiar with the process that that if the op goes out two hours before the op, one hour before that, it doesn't mean that it's just been made. Then the process, the unit of process of of concepting operations, is a long one, and. Um, they will have known what the Opal was going to say days before, but just because of the briefings that take place, that's just sometimes how, how the cookie crumbles, as they say. So I'm sure there's a couple of examples where people literally have just fucking decided what they're going to do two hours before, but I would say that's the exception, not the rule. Generally, they know it's been briefed verbally, but just getting it into bed. It's a bit like the sit rep, yeah, what I'm saying to you. We already know what the sit rep's going to say. We've already agreed on most of it. We just haven't got the ducks in a row, and it's the same principle with upwards. And yeah, it, yeah oh, absolutely, it could be better. And Miller, yes, I have finished a PBO less than uh, let's just say twelve hours before it actually was played. I wasn't there for that one. Yeah, I was absolutely cramming it. <laughs> yeah. Moving on, which which doesn't mean the upward can't be completed by then, you know. So. Uh... Why are you talking to me? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, am I? That's news to me. No, I'm very good. You have this a parable as well. What, are you drawing a parable? I'm sorry, we're getting really off track here. <clears throat> it is it is getting late, and it is not the usual Friday night format we have, where I can actually drink myself into a stupor. <laughs> or I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> Do we have anything What's more? What's next on the agenda, Zuka? <laughs> when, he, when he goes like, oh, I just love just not saying anything, just let him boil on his own. <laughs> this is on the record. We're going to have an explicit on Spotify. I mean, you already captured me saying uh, naughty things to the uh, voice recorder bot, didn't you? So I don't know what, what more, how more I can incriminate myself. Uh, do we have anything more from the chat or should we slowly sort of bring this to a conclusion? Chat, now's your chance. Yeah, I think if anyone's got any questions... Chat away. Perhaps not even related to the agenda. If you've got anything, you can equally you can come up and ask it if you want. Um, to put your hand up. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
in a in a summary and just to recap on some of the stuff that uh, that's come in the 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 sit rep delay purely being down to this sheer amount of work that that we have planned to go into it and the fact that the resources you know all of us are back to work now uh it took me two weeks to have a meeting with a single officer just because of com schedule conflicts and this is the you know a, a year ago i used to just clip my fingers and everyone would just appear out of nowhere because nobody had anything to do that's really not the reality of uh of the world anymore so yeah lining these things have to be more difficult we're adapting to that that's taken up a lot of time but hopefully once we've made that change and we've adapted to it that will then increase our efficiency and being able to put these things out. Um, RCS is still the number one priority in terms of major developments. It's, I know I keep saying it's just around the corner in terms of it is, but there's a few little things like we're trying to work out kinks of that system. It's got to be right when it comes out. It's a fundamental change. Um, you know, we're playing with other things like the cancellation no-show no policy will remove things like that lock. It's going to change the way that that works and the way that people slot and de-slot, and there'll be more information about that in the syrup as well. Um, but the focus is on quality, not quantity. We're not Brink growing. cleaning. We're not trying to grow. What we're trying to do here now is go, you know what, we know what we need to be doing, and now we just need to find tools to make sure people are doing it because all ops should be great ops, incredible ops. Um, we know what we need to do. It's just getting people to do it and doing it continuously, like we have done in the past. Um, and they're challenges that we can't, I can't solve uh, singularly. It's going to take a group effort now uh, to make these happen. And it, to be honest, it always does. Um, but people pitching in, helping to edit SOP, helping to do this, helping to do that, it's all going to be a big part of it. And RCS, again, is you know, it's taking this whole workload of FTSs completely away from the org COC and saying to everyone, look, if you're a specialist in the subject, then it's now part of your responsibility, should you wish to accept it, to make other people good at that thing or tell us if they're good at it or not, uh, but in a relatively uh, labour-free way. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge as as anything. The list never gets any shorter, but you know every month that goes by, every year that goes by, the challenges are slightly different. Um, and like I said earlier today, I fundamentally believe that a massive curveball will get thrown at some point this year, maybe early next year, in the form of a new platform, and that'll be another fun challenge to deal with, but an exciting one nonetheless. Fun, he says. Fun, yes, totally fun. Um, uh, we're speaking of fun. Yes. William had a question. Good. Oh, what a segue. Uh, what's the overall mood like with the campaigns with low tech compared to the ones with more high tech ones the stuff? Do we have data on that? But I think that's also just a question for chat. How do you feel about the missions we've been doing, like Everglade, where you haven't got GPS and other cool gadgets? And James, what's the data? Um, the, da uh, the data is difficult because new stuff always does well. Different stuff always does well. Uh, so it's the data is yet to prove whether this is like a fundamentally it's better or if it's just it's a phase it's better. But my opinion is less is more. And I've always been a big believer in technology, GPS, maps, radios. I mean, radios are a bit different, but GPS specifically, Blue Force tracking. They take away a lot of the fun of it because, you know, half of the fun in an op with low tech is working out where the fuck you are. You know, if you already know where you are and where you're going, all you then focus on is shooting. And I think where a lot of the enjoyment comes from is the teamwork in around how you manoeuvre around places, work out where you are. It all adds to the experience, I think, 
the enjoyment comes not just from shooting, but from thinking and solving problems uh, as a larger group. And so I think we're seeing that in some of the lower tech campaigns. And, um, so, you know, now we've got a sop about making sops. There's another sop called uh, the, the Tech Adoption Sop that defines un in which eras we use different technologies. And what you're seeing and hopefully starting to see is that we're reducing GPS usage and going back to things like the micro dagger and dagger for exactly this reason. Um, hopefully people will find that on the ground and that they've not been negatively impacted by some of these lower tech things, but the overall opinion seems to be good and people seem to like the challenge, right? Similar with Honey Badger we've, and Everglade, where we've removed the scopes, yeah? We half expected a riot by doing that, but a lot of the feedback has been good and, and as long as we continue to do these things in a way which is productive and enjoyable. I think that's going to be a good thing. And it's, the FNFL with Ironsides is just so satisfying to shoot. Yes, it. yes, it is. But I think, again, we, all of these things have to work together, right? It's like an orchestra. If if you take all that stuff away and then just make the enemy harder, right, that's not going to help matters, right? So you, it's a balance, always a balance. You know, if you're taking away the ability for a player to instantly know their current grid coordinates, which I absolutely think should be the case, then don't then pile on 10 times the amount of contact because how they where are they going to find the time to do that? There's a time and a place for that. player needs to know the op where they are going to get smacked in the face repeatedly, but it's a balance. I mean, mm. even just using these different time periods opens up a lot of uh, more opportunities simply because of different equipment and I've always been a big fan of not taking the best scope and not taking the Gucci four times has five uh, sort of subdivisions on scopes on top of scopes simply because I can just do basically just as much of a red dot and be able to focus myself more. And what I've been seeing more and more and I'm really, really happy to see is suddenly you have someone standing with a binocular behind someone that's doing suppressive fire, shooting their MG at a hillside that's 200, 300 meters away simply because they want to help spot. That's the sort of teamwork that's amazing to see. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that surprised me even and was never really part of the plan, you know, we have a lot more campaigns and a lot more coverage than I ever thought, to be honest, we would. But originally, we were pretty just going to stick with current events. Um, Got it. What's amazing now is, you know, you you can go from our bread and butter fire teams operating in counterinsurgency to UGVs being used for logistics remotely on uh, Polaris, right the way back to orders being shouted up a, an infantry line in, in Giant's Pain, right? Um, we've managed through a combination of campaign teams and just sheer number of players to do all of those things concurrently. I would say right now, not as good as they can be. But if we keep improving those and, and generally our systems, we can be the best in you know all of those areas. We can improve in all of those areas. And they're already good experiences. They're just, we want them to be great, obviously. One of the questions raised in here was also, uh, since we now have ops where for example, only the fire team lead has a radio or only has a short range and the rest don't get anything or only uh, any way to sort of uh, receive orders through uh, through the radio. But FTX is sort of focusing on, on these types of things. 
be something we're looking out for, something we're doing. And I think we've already done it with uh, Martyrs, simply because I think it was, it wasn't Giant Spain, it was uh, Everglade, where we looked at specifically the launcher or the mortar system that was used there and how to uh, do all of the things that may be written one way in SOP. I think even the, with the mortars, it's even written down as in you can just type things into your micro dagger and it calculates everything for you. Yeah. The slight difficulty is SOP has to be universally applicable, but with the acceptance that we will soon have four definitive areas in which we operate. Um, navigation SOP needs to cover technology all the way from the first era, map reading, basic map reading. In fact, navigation without a map all the way up to just plummet in your computer and the computer tells you where to go. This is all stuff we absolutely need to do and this is why we've launched the SOP pool for people that can help with this. Yeah, uh, navigating, uh, Land navigation covering all areas will need to be a SOP in core infantry. Um, I would argue some of the techniques in terms of inventory movement that we would need to teach for communication at a World War II level will help us in a in a present day level. There's there's I don't can't really see many instances where improvement of local communication off radio doesn't improve communication on radio. Yeah, it's always if you can do it with less tech, having more tech uh, should technically only like make you even better at it instead of the other way around uh, because it sort of removes the reliance on oh i need to know the exact grid where i'm standing as a rifleman or all oh, i need to know exactly where both my squads are my four fire teams are as a platoon lead uh, simply because you have a handy dandy tablet that tells you everything uh, i think a good example is how you see things done in you know what were two campaigns in giant spain where you hear squad leaders uh, either designating a sort of uh, what's the name messenger well, I mean, okay yeah boy. messengers to, to throw things out the line and the example i would give echoing uh, as a company commander is what ctab really helps you to do is to understand where your elements are right some people would say it's cheating fine um we don't have ctab on like honey badger and i had this solution right which is and i didn't know this wasn't in sop it wasn't planned i was just in the op and i was like oh this is really annoying i don't know where everyone is i'm a company commander i can't physically see everyone in, in the company um so i just put markers on my map which is desynchronized to everyone else's i'm just like alpha one alpha two blah 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 helicopter one helicopter. and just like sort of world war ii big war table-esque every time i got a pos rep from that team i'd shift their marker across so i had this sort of like completely out of date map with the rough positions of all the elements and then i would go oh alpha one give me a pos rep and they'd be like right we're here and i'm like fine shuffle that over and so it was actually really effective at me understanding the what, the bigger picture in a slightly delayed way but with enough comprehension to be able to make decisions and interestingly you've also encouraged your um sub leaders to stay on the ball about where they are because they know the next pos rep is only just around the corner or, in fact, they might not have known where they are, but then they get asked for one, and they have to know where they are, which increases their effectiveness as well. Yeah, Apple Trades raises a good point, which if they get captured, I've given everyone's position away. I will now note that, and if I ever get captured again, which has happened, I'll just scramble it all around just before I get captured. <laughs> I'll just bleed on it, make it unreadable. Yeah, but I mean, that kind of boils down to the essence of 
if you can make a mission with utilizing all the assets you have and being basically forced to use every single thing you have, I think that's the most uh, enjoyable missions. At least it is for me because it makes you work with everything you have. And if you have, or if you have the knowledge of, oh, I have 10 javelin spare in my backpack and I can just take out everything from this mountaintop I am, I'm currently at, it, it's nice for a start and it's, it, it's fun once in a while. But it's sort of having to use every resource you have and being resourceful with them as well is is what's really enjoyable in the long run, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we, we're. I think solving problems is fun. Solving them as a team is is more fun, right? It's funner. Uh, it's funner. Funner. Um, <laughs> it's funner, and I just see, I just see that as an extension of someone in the chat earlier said, you know. Um, missions where you lose by pure just brute force of the enemy are, are not as fun as uh, like a lost condition of you know do this or x happens or fail this and x happens and i agree i think i think that's a perfect way to look at it and i just see not using a gps not using a radio not having a map as just an extension of that which is you're doing the same thing but it's harder to do because you've got to think more and solve problems more often than you would do. And it's the same reason why roleplay becomes interesting because if you shoot all the role players that come at you, you're never going to get into a, a dilemma. But if one of them has a bomb vest and you spend 20 minutes trying to negotiate with him, that's interesting. It's it's new, it's unique. It's not if it happens six missions in a row like you, what used to happen when, you know, we'd do a mission with a suicide bomber, it would get a 10 out of 10. And everyone's like, oh, how amazing was that? And the next 10 missions, you know, one would appear. You know, you can't overdo these things. But it's all about problem solving. Like shooting is a big part of it, combat's a big part of it. But people want to work together as a team to solve a problem, to to do it in their own way, to have a say in how it's done. And if you don't give them the opportunity to do it, and you just shoot them, they can't do it. A, a great example of this sort of teamwork being a, a, a core part of the gameplay or the gameplay loop is it, it's a game that's been very dear to my heart, and it's uh, Project Reality. Uh, because that game is specifically designed that no one person can do everything. You can be the absolute uh, most operator type dude, but if you don't have a team with you, everything's going to go to shit. Uh, to an extent, uh, another game as well, Squad. Uh, they do these things really well that they sort of create a codependency on your entire team. Everyone has their role, and if they don't do it, it's noticeable. And I mean, that's something that as far as I'm aware, is is definitely the goal here as well. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you, is you, is a big part of the sort of mission design philosophy. You don't want anyone to feel completely redundant. And every time I see something like that, it just breaks my heart. <laughs> if someone feels useless or someone feels out of place, I think we do. We do a relatively good job at that. We have fixed or we have these orbats and they're rigidly enforced because of the limited arsenals and the, the way that we've managed to, to do that. Um that's why it's important and not all campaigns do this yet, but we've really tried with the newer campaigns to really restrict the maximum load that a player can take. We only run like three hour max ops. Logistics, you know, isn't gonna have a whole lot of place if you take fifty five magazines with you. Um and, you know, at the same time We'll do an op and the cavalry will be like, why don't we have a tool? Why can't we fix our own tracks? Why can't we repair our own main bar? It is that codependency that, that sort of drives that. And like I said, not to keep banging on about Armour 4, but I think there will be even more interesting. Maybe there'll be some persistency there. 
maybe there'll be some longer longer missions, you know. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays into that. <laughs> what do you want to ask? Come on. Oh, do you want to no, he she's reminding me of Noah's question from ages ago. Which was about the RCS, which is quite long, which is why I kept it for a bit later. Um not sure if you want to go into detail about the RCS, James. Hit me with the question. Yeah. Um, so with the RTO, <laughs> with the RTO, you can... Um... Oh, hang on. I I've got a cat butt in my face. I'm going to have to shuffle around a bit. All right. It's only on Spotify. Yep, there it is. All Hello, major Spotify. streaming platforms. So how is the RCS going to work for aircrew or other rare slots, I suppose, where you have to get the slot to prove your capabilities in the field if the qualification is to do in the field when the slots are so rare you might not even be able to get a slot to be qualified in i mean it's it's it's, it's been a while since we talked about the whole rcs thing yeah but the it's main good. focus of it was all, always i'm sorry james go ahead <laughs> I, I i know the answer to this one i'm just just buttoning in that's that's me it's isn't it it's a good question <laughs> maybe it's not explicitly covered in the there is a, do a public document which you can, Zook, if you can dig it out, maybe link it in live chat for people. Oh, did, did, did I leak the wrong one? Uh, oh, did you post RCS? No, you posted the example RA. Yeah, the car. Radio Man, yeah. There's an actual paper on RCS, the one that was distributed for the org CSE and, and went in, I think, Syrup 14. Just in case anyone, anyone hasn't seen it. But the answer to the question is um, yeah, so at the moment, the tier system is like, okay, you're tier four in fixed wing so you're probably qualified right um but things like fixed wing it will be applicable to the specific aircraft it's actually going to be the same for like platooners so you'll have like mechanized platooners infantry platooners so so there'll be specific certifications for f35 for f18 so on and so forth um the question is if nobody is certified for that aircraft how do you how does it then work the the way RCS works in general is if nobody has the cert or the role is not a certified role, i.e. nobody has created a cert yet, just works the way that it works now. It's like a it's a hybrid system. If um, we launch a certification for the F eighteen, then it changes and it'll start to use the certification primarily on top of the tier, basically. Um, if you if there is a certification that exists but then nobody's qualified for it, that's a good question. There's not anything specifically in the code right now to fix that, but my very knee-jerk reaction to that is perhaps it would be the person that has the most progressed certification. The The system is always most experienced first, most capable first. So that would be my incl inclination. Inclination. As we said before we cut off, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's just free-flowing questions now. Um, Miller had one, which I find very interesting because I love that kind of stuff. And it's proven to have a bit of an audience in armor as well, because if you've seen the, what was it, 17-something Age of Sail mod, where you can literally rig a ship and sail. Oh, that one. Um, would you see the possibility of ancient missions like the Roman Empire or Vikings? Um, um, so this is more, to me, this is more of a... A question of purpose than it is anything else right there's a lot of stuff that people enjoy here outside of the core 
purpose of our existence. And for the same reason that we don't officially support DCS, we don't officially support PvP, we don't officially support Star Wars. No, we probably won't officially support any of this stuff because our identity is important. And if we are seen, if I am seen specifically to be focusing on a direction which is not what we said we were going to do, that is counterproductive. That doesn't mean that you can't do that if you think that's interesting and get other people involved in it. We had actually, um, as a sort of a bit of a joke for, for sort of team building, when we do all COC ops, we usually don't play armour proper. You know, We've been on holiday before uh, when we had a bunch of non-NCOs driving around holiday buses and teaching us to play golf and jet ski and stuff. And I did actually post that. Uh, I think the mod you're talking about is the one where you, it's like pirate ships and stuff like that. I did actually post that thinking maybe we could do a uh, medieval version of it. Oh, it's not medieval, is it? But um, So I don't, I don't think there's any reason why you can't do it, but it, it's not the primary focus of, of what we're to do. And so we would only do it as a Christmas special, as a... Yeah, for those that haven't been here long enough, we usually always do a couple of seasonal specials. We've done a lot of SCP. We've done a lot of hunting Santa Claus and Jeff Bezos, 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 whatever his name is, hunting him down. Um, so yeah, we maybe would do it as a special, but it wouldn't be something that we give hours for or drill as part of the main system, basically. Um, Vike posed the question then, what's the de facto um, official limit for our historical ops? Is it World War Two, World War One? Whatever we can religious, uh, religiously, Let's get realistically, <laughs> there's nothing to do with religion. Sorry, uh, realistically, whatever we can get away within the realms of our SOP. I think Blue Wolf put it there. Yes, we change and build on our SOP all the time. Does that mean we should add a SOP for sword fighting? And no. Yes, um, that would definitely not get taken out of context. Thanks, James. <laughs> but but yeah, we can. Let my COC handle that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Well, it's really hard to think when Zukaku's showing. I would say World War II is probably the limit, um, but you know, you never know. You never know. We could. We're, we're about as far forward as twenty thirty five, and we're about as far back as you know nineteen forty. So we may well experiment with other things, but at the moment, that's most of our stuff will always be sort of around the present day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did have an idea for. A- sort of April Fool's joke mission where a platoon of uh, USMC would go up against Roman legionnaires, which would, funnily enough, be possible and absolutely tenable, but it would have never been more than an April Fool's joke mission, which I didn't get around to do, honestly. Yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't want James reading down my bag about it. <laughs> it's, why do we have Roman legionnaires in our ops now? Excuse me. Uh, but no, that would never come to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they are heavy infantry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they did have formations, James. They had formations. But speaking of special deployments, um, we had a couple of really long. Or was was it one? Was it two? Really long mission. Are we going to do another one of these six arm six hour ops? Uh, look, if there's demand for it, we'll do it. Um... I think it's difficult to get GMs to enjoy it for that long. Those people that haven't GM'd, it can be quite a stressful thing. Sign up uh, and shifts. I think that we, we did explore it for a while, and it may be something that other people want to explore, but there, there's obviously a lot of quite smart uh, scripted missions out there. Might be a solution to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, even then we did, uh, 
was it called Operation Crescendo, which was two three hour blocks. We did that one crazy long brimstone that went on for close to five four and a half, five hours or something, I think, where we took yeah. the airfield. Uh something like that is not of the question. Uh it's just it takes a lot of effort to sort of coordinate and get the shifts in and uh, it's not something I want to ditch, but it's something I'll 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 need to basically take a week off and really plan through. There's no lower or upper limit to our duration of deployments. Twenty-four hour ops. Probably comes down to what the teams are willing to do, and obviously what people will, will sign up for. Obviously, it typically falls on whatever that average is of two and a half hours, but that, that's purely just uh, a lag measure. It's not a target. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Lexel, that wasn't that airfield. It was one before. It was a Brimstone 10 or something like that in that era-ish. Sorry, Skull. No, all good. Um, but speaking of deployment times, what is the um, the the goal we aim for for Sunday missions? Is it three hours, three and a half hours? If there's no upper limit, as you say, what can people expect to be joining up for in general? I think we respect people's time for for three hours. If you're, I, I think a lot of people perhaps don't like it when we because you know op execution is quite difficult because most ops are in in peaks and troughs, right, in phases. So a decision has to be made. You know, forty minutes before before the expected end, as to whether we're going to end early or try and squeeze another task in or whatever and the reality is nothing goes to plan so you think it's going to take 20 minutes takes 40 and you end up running over so sometimes you'll get an abrupt end to a mission because we're trying to a on the one hand respect people's time but on b you know also um we don't target anything it's it varies from field leader to field leader if i if i feel like we've had a good run the op's been good and i feel like everyone would have enjoyed it and i don't have any reason to extend i'll end it half an hour early and we'll run for two and a half most ops won't be less than two hours. Certainly, like on a Sunday, most most ops are going to be minimum two and a half hours. It just comes back to that sort of last forty minutes. It's like, do you push for whatever you're trying to do, or do you knock it on the head? Um, and that can be difficult when you're getting shot at to try and make that decision. But m- most planning of ops is is phased, so there'll be a discussion a week before where they go. Well, we're going to aim to do this. And, and this is our stretch objective. And if we don't do this, these are the possible places that we will index or the ways that we will draw back out of the conflict. Yeah, additionally, I've never been a big fan of sort of having the players do a long drive back to base just for an index, just to pad out the time or just to sort of tie it up. All of that stuff can be done sort of out of op. And it's also something that we, we factor in into mission times and we factor into... Uh, like how enjoyable is it to drive back in a Humvee 20 minutes just so you're back at base if it's something we could just do sort of off screen and so we sometimes do sort of indexes in the middle of uh, our last taken objective or uh, in team speak while we take off with a with a plane or whatever it's once again always trying to sort of uh, get the mission time or keep it as relevant as possible uh, but I think the two and a half to three hours have sort of settled themselves in as a good time frame because that's what's everybody or what's on everybody's expectation. Uh, and 
going massively under or over it would sort of defy that expectation that we've we've set and we've made. It's not listed anywhere officially, of course, but it's just sort of what you experience and what you see after a while. Yeah. And I think that might segue pretty nicely into uh, we're coming up on top of the hour. Shall we begin wrapping up with just one or two more questions? We should. I mean, Noah, without ping, I'm going to have to take yours first. Uh, what was it? Let me scroll up a bit. All right, so I'm going to read it out loud now so that it's, so that it's clear enough. Um, what he meant, though, with that question is, how would I be able to get for, uh, fixed wing certification for any aircraft? Because, for example, somebody can just take any aircrew slot if they've got the tier or cert for it. And thus, I can never get my cert boxes ticked off. And hence, he gets the cert at some point, meaning the monopoly on aircrew slots just gets larger. Ha, monopoly, monopoly. Very funny. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, so, essentially, the way RCS will be implemented is I, I've been very clear when, when we did the initial announcement of RCS that this will, this will supersede tiers in terms of both systems will exist. But in the long run, you should absolutely expect that if a role has a certification, having it is more important than not having it. Um, that's not going to happen overnight because when we introduce them, nobody will have it. But just extrapolate this forward because this is literally what I do with everything. Okay, we're thinking about making a change. What will that change look like in 12 months? So if we introduce certifications and in 12 months' time, you've got 20 people without the tier that have got a radio operator cert and 20 people with the tier that got the radio operator cert that haven't got it, sorry. The, having the cert is more important than having the tier because the cert is considered to be more robust level of assessment of competency. Having both is beneficial. I think what uh, no one might be asking is, well, what if I get the cert and they've got the tier and the cert and therefore I still can't get the combat experience? Um, fatigue will solve that problem as i've worded it fatigue will be used to basically say there are two different ways you can be deemed uh competent at a role and if there are no certs in existence tiers will come into that uh, calculation if there are certs in existence it will rely more on certs and if there are equal uh, a lot of people for example that are capable of that role and available then fatigue will deal with the rest from there forward so uh, i understand his concern but I'm confident that it won't be an issue when the time comes. Even then, we've experienced or experimented and ideas have been thrown around that it doesn't have to be strictly in-op experience. So I think the point of I'll, I'll never get a slot to even sort of get my first points of the certification ticked off. Uh, yeah, it what has was to it? be one or two TAF casts ago where we even talked about simple things like a Discord screen share or questionnaires, whatever you come up with, really. It's, it's a, the parts of the cert card for, for that sort of role will state that certain of the abilities must be assessed in combat. doesn't necessarily mean in operation. They'll be very specifically worded, and it is a self-policing system, so we'll make sure that people are, you know, we've talked a lot about anti-corruption when it comes to RCS, but my feeling is that people that, um, they're not going to be, they're not going to be easy to achieve, and when no achieves it, he's not going to easily allow other people to achieve it because he's worked for it. And that that's the way that that, that will self-fulfill itself and we'll keep an eye on that 
from a policy perspective. Um, but the end goal, the ultimate goal here is um, people in these roles where, where we have, and this is for people listening, not to scare you off. It's not like, you know, you, you're not going to be able to deploy as a rifleman because you haven't ticked some box somewhere. We, we're talking at the moment about advanced roles and we may expand this to, to other ones. Um, but we want people slotting into Apache pilot that are all of equal competency or greater. That's the goal. And, t- and, and the fatigue will be the one that determines who gets it after that. Uh, but we will make that assessment. All right. Uh, William, let's make that the last question, shall we? Um, how about standardized uh, certification ops where people can get uh, go to get certified without needing a slot on an, on an official op? That seems a bit like gaming the system, but what's our, what's our view? <laughs> I mean, even then, it would be sort of sessions for certification, yeah. sort of like taking a test, wouldn't it? We're going to keep the policy loose on this because all <laughs> I care about is that there's no corruption in the system and that if somebody has a cert for something, I expect them to know and be able to demonstrate everything that's on that cert card. And if mm-hmm. they can't, then I'm going to look at all the instructors that are, that contributed to that certification and we'll start asking questions. That's the anti-corruption part of it. I honestly couldn't care if an instructor decides that they're going to start a school of advanced infantry and they're going to issue a lesson. <laughs> oh, you broke off there. Oh, yes, yes, he did. I, I thought I was, my internet was dying there. One, two. Can you hear me now? One, two. Oh, yeah. that's way better. That's... So my other mic just uh, ran out of battery, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if somebody wants to make a school of infantry, they're they're following unit SOP, unit standards, so there is no issue with standardization. Um, this is all part of that thing I said, which is you look at the SOP portal, look at Lowdance, look at RCS, look at uh, that. We need people to understand the objectives of the unit and be able to contribute in the things that they're passionate about. So if someone's passionate about fixed wing, I haven't got the time to create a school of fixed wing. Somebody might have the time to do that. And as long as they stick to the unit standards and stick to the frameworks that we've put out, absolutely, why not let them do that? Um, I'm just entrusting them, not them specifically, anyone that's earned the certification in that role and anyone that's opted to be an instructor to certify that role, that they're going to hold those same standards to everyone that they certify. And if they don't, then we'll intervene. It's as simple as that. So I think hopefully that answers the question. And I think RCS will open up a few interesting things like that, where people that aren't in the org COC don't have the time to can do little unique things of their own like that, like set up their own sessions to do it. You know, it's not something that people get necessarily hours for. So it's not like it's an FTX or not. Certification is a little bit of a different kettle of fish. So whilst I might take point on the leadership side and do a lot of that development, other people might get involved in different areas, like Draylet might teach people how to drop C4 off the front of a helicopter, for example. <laughs> he's, he's never going to live that down, is he? Nope. Just like Kevin's pizza. Indeed. <laughs> right, I think with your mic dying, uh, my, my boy's <laughs> Joke's pretty good, but my mic gave up. Uh, yeah, with your mic dying, with my voice dying, and I think Scotty being too hungry for her own good, 
Uh, and a bit too poopy. A, a bit too poopy. Shall we start wrapping it up here? Yeah, yeah all for it. The council unanonymously. What does wrapping, <laughs> wrapping it up can, can contain? Uh, I mean, closing the window on the spring bees. So there's no puns in the wrap-up, is there? Nah. Nah. Um, all I'd like to say is that, um, you know, normally in Tafcast we're talking about future stuff. There's an appreciation here that, you know, usually we can deliver some pretty fundamental stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the works. We'll try and deliver that to you as quickly as possible. But the overriding message that Zuka talked about, we, we will discuss, which is there'll be stuff you've heard about tonight that you're interested in. Use the channels available on Discord to ask more questions if you've got them. This is the dedicated time where I'll come on and answer as many questions as I can, try and give you an idea of what it is that we're working on and what directions we're trying to move in. Um, but it doesn't you don't have to wait for a Trafcast to do that. Please use Discord if you want the raw data for this to make a fancy graph or whatever. And you know, if we've got the time to do so we'll we'll try our best to to do that. But the main one that I want people to look at is the SOP portal. And if you're if you're the type of person that can help in that area that that's great. And there'll be additional tools coming for things like loadouts, RCS, and lesson plans as we roll those out in the near future. Yeah, perfect example to make is, for example, a time period appropriate sort of communication techniques. But what the, what the hell do I do if, my, if I don't have a radio and I have to relay orders? Uh, stuff like that. Put it in a draft. We can look over it. That's what the SOP portal's for. I've even got people going through the SOP polls now and correcting all my grammar and spelling mistakes. So. Which is a lot. Yeah, which is a lot. Well, they use a lot of commas, apparently. That, no, just commas are confusing in English. Let, let's not start that, because we could be... No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we would never get to a point. All right, everybody, thank you for joining Toughcast. That's our ending. <laughs> if you didn't do that, we never would have got there. Did <laughs> it would have just been awkward silence. <laughs> right. I mean, closing words. Thanks, Scully, for 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 breaking the silence there. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, a lot of participation from the chat today. Always very nice to see. And I hope you feel adequately informed about what's going on, what's to happen in uh, lots of statistics. And if you can't get enough of James's voice, uh, you can listen to all of the Tavcast episodes on Spotify, on uh, Help Me Name More platforms. All of the main ones, all the major. And, ah, and, uh, yes. We, ah, major. Ha. Huh? We. Uh, no, you no, did that. I actually, wasn't trying to make a pun, but um, we leave the chat open so if people are listening to it and they want to. I mean, it's pretty useless us saying that now because it's at the end of when they'll be listening to it. But the chat is there if they want to follow along. For a limited time offer, next time just be, just be here, easy. Mm -hmm.